and welcome to another episode of Reflections from Eternal Weekends. This week we're having Danny Batterman with us. Hello all. And everyone knows that he is known for the People's Canon, the Belcher deck with Living Wish and Land Grants. Pretty much the talk of the tournament, like I said before, until round round 10 feature match happens, and then everyone started talking about Magus of the Moat, and sort of took some steam out of you, but you were good for nine hours, I'd say. I'll, I'll definitely take it. <laughs> so go ahead and introduce yourself. Danny Batterman, like Sam said, based out of Southern California, where you know we've got kind of quietly under the radar, we've got a nice little vintage scene going. I guess I started playing Magic back in 2001, in like sixth grade, with Judgment being my first my first pack, and the first rare I ever opened was a World Gorger Dragon, which was I bought three packs. It was World Gorger Dragon, Solitary Confinement, and Silver Seraph. And at the time, I had I guess what you'd call a Naya deck now, which was really a Invasion Green White Precon, a Mono Red Seventh Seventh Edition Mono Red Precon. A Rithy Awakener that I bought in the case, and the reason I bought those two cards was because I bought the Rith, and I was like, oh, giant dragon. A Chronicles Johan, that was in the case, which is also, it's three colorless Naya for 5-4, as long as it's untapped and not attacking, all your creatures gain vigilance. Um, legendary, legendary. Of course. And a... Sunglasses of Urza, which is a three-mana artifact that you could make white mana, red mana. Uh, it's probably like fourth edition. I know it's I know it's white bordered. I still have it in like the you know in my childhood binders. And threw those all together. So that was my deck. And I loved all three of those cards because Silver Seraph with a giant angel that made my stuff bigger. Solitary confinement met my friends in the multiplayer games where we were playing you know land drop too, where you you put all your lands from your from your hand onto the battlefield and then replace those cards. Um, you know, they couldn't kill me. And then the dragon was a giant big dragon that, you know, flew and trampled. And then after one game with it and all my stuff got killed and then all my friends killed me, I was like, this card's terrible. And I, <laughs> you know, didn't you throw it across the room, but, you know, then when I <laughs> equivalently threw it across the room and then when I got back into tournament magic, found out it was banned in Legacy. I was like, why? This card sucks. It's like, oh no, this card's actually just broken. Okay. <laughs> I then left and, you know, kind of focused on other card games for a while at a high level. Uh, definitely got something banned in one of those. Well, I got something limited to one. And then it was eventually banned after I stopped really playing. Um, and what, what game was that? Uh, it was Yu-Gi-Oh. You know, it is, is what it is. I had a, I'm, I'm aware I might take some flack from it, but it was, you know, Taught me a lot, I made a lot of friends, and I won enough money from it to, when I made the jump back into Magic, I got that in 2009, I got, like, straight into Legacy, off, you know, Cedar money from Yu-Gi-Oh!, and things were a lot cheaper back then, like, my playset of Underground Seas were, for the playset, <laughs> off eBay, was $240, you know, I remember you mentioned Show and Tell on Show. the interview with Brian Kelly, I got those, it was around the same time, I got those for $10 a piece, like, you know. Gotta find the niche. You, you gotta find the niche. Yeah, my. Also heard about me lamenting over all the money I spent, the two hundred dollars I spent on eight duels in two thousand three. And oh yeah, pr yeah. Price, prices are so crazy. And don't don't even downplay yourself about Yu-Gi-Oh. Like we all have to start somewhere. And you know, it's just what you do, what you go into. Like anyone's past, future, anything like that. I would never downplay somebody for playing the game. You can personally not like it, 
doesn't mean that the, anyone who plays it is just, you know, not doesn't know what they're doing. Oh, I, th- I thought it was actually just, you know, was and at least from, you know, there have been some new mechanics that have been introduced since I've stopped playing competitively that are just like, you just kind of stare at, but, you know, there's, there's one I don't even understand that I've just, it's a thing, I haven't bothered to learn it, I just know it's broken. But, it was fun, and, (laughs) you know, but it definitely, definitely helped, you know, when I decided to really take the plunge, and my first deck, when I got back in, because I got destroyed at it, at the UC San Diego Magic Club by my friend John, because I found it the very last Wednesday of the last week of my freshman year at UCSD, I found the club, and... I was waiting around, I was like, okay, who's the best player? Not because I wanted to, like, establish myself as this big alpha, but it's, you know, like, oh, I'm going to take over and come in and build this reputation. It wasn't anything like that, it was just, I wanted to learn, I wanted to get better. I'd been playing a game at the highest level for so long that I just, I wanted to get back into that. They're like, oh, it's this guy named John. He eventually shows up, and I have, you know what I call, like, casual competitive, where it wasn't really a competitive deck, but it wasn't fully casual. Like, it was kind of black-green, extended black-green rock-esque in the sense that it had Spirit Mongers, which <laughs> was the first card I was ever really blown away by. It was still my favorite card to this day. And Pernicious Deeds, and, like, you know, Wild Mongrels and stuff like that. But, or, Cabal, or Chainer's Edict. There we go. And, but it also had things like Kokosho the Evening Star, because Big Dumb Dragon, and... Like, Nizumi Grave Robber, because, well, you kill my stuff and I reanimate it. Or Grave Shell Scarab, because uh, my older brother, his deck of choice was the Odyssey, Odyssey Block Onslaught, Mono Black Control, like Cabal Coffers and Mirari and Corrupt and Mutilate. And Grave Shell Scarab was just an unkillable threat <laughs> against that deck. It's like, oh, you kill it, and it's dredge one, and it's a small dredge, because you don't want to dredge too much. You don't you don't want to deck out. You don't want to deck out. You do, the Grave Troll with that dredge six is too much. <laughs> this is my thoughts back when I was, like, 12. No, it's... That, that's <laughs> or, or 14. <laughs> so it's dredge one, and it's a four four. It's unkillable. <laughs> and... Did you know the trick where you pay the one and hit the draw and then yep. you dredge it to replace yes, it? Yes, yes, I did. I did know that trick. That um, was back when you could stack damage too, so it was even better. <laughs> yes, it was. Yes, it was. <laughs> um, you know, this guy who's now my friend John shows up and he goes, "Oh yeah, I just built this new deck and it's dredge. It's legacy dredge," <laughs> and I get ruined. I get destroyed. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, "This is the most disgusting thing I've ever seen in my life. I need to build this deck." And that's why I got into legacy and initially, and, you know, my real taking the plunge moment was, from all the research I had done, was, do I buy, do I go with the version with Lion's Eye Diamonds or the version without Lion's Eye Diamonds? Because Faithless Looting hadn't been printed, there was, you're still playing Tireless Drive, you're still playing, like, Breakthrough. Yeah, definitely, Breakthrough was still a thing. Breakthrough was but, Torment, so that, you yeah, definitely Yeah, you that. still had that, but, like, you're still playing, like, Cephalid Looter, I think, is your reanimation target. It was, it's, I might be wrong on the name. It might be Cephalid Sage, but it's a 2-3 for 4. Sage. Cephalid yeah, Cephalid Sage. Sage. It's 2-3 for 4 that if you had Threshold when it entered the battlefield, you drew 3 and discarded 2 or something. Only if you had Threshold, though. <laughs> and <laughs> not very difficult to do in the dredge deck, but I decided to take the plunge and go for the more expensive Lion's Eye Diamond version and spend $15 a piece on my Lion's Eye Diamonds. <laughs> To take that very plunge, take that plunge and buy the more expensive version. <laughs> I just, I, I love thinking about old card prices. It's just crazy. Like, not, not, not even that long ago, like, 
a, a year and a half ago, I sold off a bunch of stuff that I didn't really need because I went out and visited my parents and paid for, I paid for my plane ticket with it. It was a good haul. And I saw in the case that the guy was like, okay, we can give you 800 but if you do store credit, you can get, 50, you can get 1200 I'm like, oh, let me think about this. I saw in the case it had like a 350 Ancestral, 300 Walk, and it's like, you know, think about now, it's like, ah, what happened? There's just this big kaboom that happened, and... Yeah, I definitely have, like, at Grand Prix Vegas earlier this year, I saw a Mox Emerald with, like, a crease in it. Like, literally, like, kind of like a fold crease in it, sell for more than what I bought my Mox Emerald for back in... I mean, it was... I got my Emerald in, like, 2013, because what ended up happening is I don't... I, you know, I... Built my way through Legacy, played my way through Legacy. I, for a while, kind of struggled to find a signature deck because they kept banning it. <laughs> like, it was after Dredge, the next logical jump because I had the Lion's Eye Diamonds, was Ad Nauseam, just uh, anti Ad Nauseam Tendrils with four Mystical Tutors, <laughs> which is why the first tournament I ever played that in, despite the fact that I'd never played a real human being in my life, I top board. Um, and at the time, it was two dual lands for each of the top ten. And the higher seed picked. So first and second, you know, split. And they each took a sea and a tundra. Third took trops. And then I had the options between Volcanic Islands and Tigers, which at the time were the same price. And I had just picked up my set of, a set of Tarmogoyfs for like $200 for the set. Oh, man. And I was like, well, Mystical Tutor's rotating. I guess I need to find, like, and I have these Tarmogoyfs. Well, I guess I'll build Zoo. I'll take these Tigers. <laughs> and... Well, I have uh, I have a set of Volks. I got them for you know fifty dollars back when they were fifty dollars a piece. Like I'm not <laughs> inherently kicking myself too much, but it's one of those moments. But yeah, and then I you know kind of struggled to find a deck until GP Providence, where Caleb Durward you know debuted his survival deck. I was like, oh, this looks fun, okay. and so I got my set of survivals and a Bloodstained Mire, eighty dollars total, and I ran rough shot with that deck. That deck was. That deck was real nice. Then they banned that. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, I'm still kind of like, you know, I don't know what to play. Okay. So I, I played Four Horsemen for a little bit, which is a combo deck based around Mesmeric Orb and Basalt Monolith, where you mill yourself, and you eventually kill with Blasting Station, which is a three-mana artifact that you can sack a creature to deal one, and then you, whenever a creature enters the battlefield, you can untap it, and you add a Singleton Emrakul to infinitely recur Narcomimas. The deck is now illegal, because it is an indeterminate loop, meaning that I cannot tell you how many iterations I have to go through my combo to kill you. Okay, because it, it untaps and it has to mill. And, and then, then there's a Singleton Emrakul that reshuffles. Yeah. And so I can't say, I'm going to do this 10,000 times, and you are going to end up at, you know, you are going to end up at minus 10,000. And I'm going to, this is going to be my board state. Because theoretically, you can, you know, just theoretically, it's statistically very unlikely, but that Emrakul could be in, like, you know, the top three cards for those 10,000 iterations of the loop. And, yeah, mathematically, it's like, yes, you are dead if I take the limit as, you know, I'm, I'm a, I study math, so I'm going to get a bit jargony, and I apologize. If you take the limit as this goes to infinity, basically, if you do this infinitely many times, you will be dead. This will be the resulting board state, and you will be dead. The rules say you can't just say, I do infinity. You have to say a number. And so because you can't say a number, it's slow play. And <laughs> it wasn't officially policy back then. It is officially policy now. I have gotten some pushback and some arguments from people about this. 
Um, I actually got a friendly debate with Patrick Chapin over this at one point, and back in 2013, when the policy had just changed, when he was in in town for local Star City doing uh, doing coverage. You know, <laughs> I don't I don't want to go into a discussion. I've had this discussion too many times. If you want to leave something in the comments saying how I'm wrong, you are free to do so. I will not engage. <laughs> And, you know, that point, Mental Misstep was kind of running roughshod. Uh, I'm going to play Hypergenesis. Nice missteps. And then I was like, okay, well, how do I make this more consistent? And I had two Eurekas in my deck. My friend and now teammate Ben Perry traded to me because he actually helped. He had a Hypergenesis list. That's where I first saw the deck back in 2009. That's why I got my show and tells for $10. <laughs> I was just like, huh, I can just play Eureka and I get to play Brainstorm. And yeah, they get to misstep my Brainstorms, but I get to play my own missteps. And the deck was great. And they eventually banned misstep, but I still played that deck and took it to uh, a top six, uh, an open top 16 back in 2012 with two copies of Nicole Bolas Planeswalker in the main deck. Because Eureka says any permanent. <laughs> and you got around the show-and-tell Nambo because the deck was playing four Force of Worlds and four Misdirections, and Nicole Bolas was blue. <laughs> Which is why people were asked, why didn't you play Car? And it's like, blue. It just... <laughs> that, I think it was that summer, actually. It was summer 2000... No, summer 2011 realistically, is when I got my first piece of power. It was, I was at Comic-Con, and I was turning 21 that September. Comic-Con was in the summer. And one of the peop- one of the dealers on the floor had an ancestral recall in the case. And I was like, you know what? I've, I've known about the Power 9 since I was 11 years old. I had, you know, the, the, the magic encyclopedia. I don't know if you remember that. Was just, I, I do remember that. Giant, like probably thousand, at least 500, probably a thousand page thick book that just had pictures of all the all the cards from Alpha to Apocalypse. Because uh, that was, they were apparently individual, like, mini books, and this was, like, just the complete edition. And I guess if it wasn't for the internet, they would have kept publishing this, but now Gatherer exists, and so this is very end. You know, it's, it, owning a Black Lotus was always a bucket list item of mine. Because it's like, it's Black Lotus. And I was like, you know what, early 21st birthday gift to myself, I'm buying a piece of power. And this is going to be it. I'm just going to own this recall. <laughs> and it was $400 for a near-mint recall. You know, I was like, that's it. But then my local store where I played Legacy at, uh, Nightware in Studio City, had a 10 proxy vintage event where it was, you paid, I think it's, you pay like, this still how it works to this day where it's, you pay, I just can't remember the entry. It's like, you pay $15 and you get 10 proxies or, or fewer. And if you pay $20, you get 15 proxies. You pay $5 more, you get five more proxies. I realized that because my legacy collection was so large through just winnings and buying things when they were cheap and through the Yu-Gi-Oh! Cedar money, you know, I had an extensive legacy collection. I was like, hey, I could, with this Ancestor Recall, I could fit in this tournament with 10 proxies. And I played uh, a Paul Mastriano deck. It was Bugfish, like pre-Return to Ravnica Bugfish. So, with nothing, like, so no, no, no death, death rides, no, no abrupt decays. No, none of that. It was like Tarmogoyfs, Bobs, and a Sower of Temptation. Like Singleton Sower of Temptation. But you also had like Tinker for Blightsteel, Vault Key, all of the Moxes, like two Jaces, a couple of Trigon Predators in the main deck too. I forgot about that. And it was like, it was, I liked it because you had, you know, multiple angles of attack. You could beat down with dorks, but you could just go Tinker for Blightsteel, get you. So you, you played the Gambit yeah. of Dark... Of- Dark Confidant and Blightsteel. Uh, I mean, I had two Jaces, and I, like, there were two Jaces <laughs> at the top of the deck, and Creatures hadn't really taken off yet, despite the fact that, you know, a lot of the groundwork had been laid. Creatures really hadn't taken off yet, so you could actually flip a Blightsteel to Bob and just kind of go, oh, well, I just, I'm at, like, seven now, but you just, you have now literally lost your ability to win this game, because the Blightsteel is now in my hand, so I can't flip it up later when I'm, like, lower in life, so we're good. Did it ever happen? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Of course it did. Um, but I went to that local tournament, and I top-forward. And more importantly than that, I had 
more fun than I had had just playing any other magic event, which top fouring definitely might have helped. Yeah, but success definitely makes people want to do something more. I was like, okay, okay, we're going to have to keep doing this. And then I just slowly bought in, and I finished my power by 2013. And by that point, actually, a deck that I was known for a little bit before my Belcher deck, which I'm, we'll probably get to in a minute, was Angel City Vault. I I, in, re, I revived that from the old Steel City Vault shells. Uh, Brian DeMars and I had crossed paths once again through my friend Ben, because Ben is out of Detroit and he's an RIW guy, so he knew Brian. And then Brian stayed at my house for Grand Prix San Diego in 2013, and then later for Pro Tour Dragon's Maze, where I, through just a very long story, uh, was lucky enough to host... I guess now they're called the Mighty Lux. Back then, they were Team Luxurious Hair, um, <laughs> formerly Team TCG player. But Craig Wesco, when he won his Pro Tour, I was his testing house. All the people that were on his team at the time, so Ari Lax, Brian DeMars, Jasper Joseph Epstein, uh, Louis Samuel Del Torres, a European player. Very, oh God, I know. Um, Mitchell Den Hollander was another European player. Jackie Lee. Um, I'm probably forgetting some people, and if you hear this, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, like, back to the, the photo. I think it's pretty much everyone in the photo, but I'm probably forgetting some people, and I apologize. Oh, uh, Ben Isger. Ben Isger and Joe Demestrial. They, they were not in the photo, which is why that wouldn't have helped, but... So, I just, I got to know Demars that way. Regrowth had just become unrestricted, and so we were playing, you know, I was playing the Bugfish list, because I was like, well, this is the deck I know the best at this point. And he was playing, like, this, essentially, Tropical Storm with Regrowth. That on you know on the uh, on a deli counter after I picked him up from the airport because he owed me a game of vintage and he proxied sixty off like draft chaff and I had my deck and we were just playing with vintage on you know a deli counter with like you know corned beef and pastrami sandwiches in <laughs> one hand and like power in the other hand and I eventually you know we worked on that he's like well that deck needs like might need oath so which was kind of this stark contrast to the Rick Shea, Stephen Menendi, and Burning Oath at the time, which is funny because I was undefeated against that deck lifetime with the Tropical Storm I, Oath. It's such a good idea, but in, in practice, it, does, in it, practice does, it, it doesn't do enough. In practice, it is a worse Storm deck and a worse Oath deck. It's, it's, I, I, I can see where they're coming from. I, I really appreciate when people build hybrid decks. I think that's, that's really good. There's a thing out there. You can combine them. It seems awesome. But in the end, you have a Storm deck, which can draw Crystal Brands, and then you have an Oath deck, which can draw multiple Burning Wishes that don't do anything. Yeah. I mean, hybrid decks definitely had their place. Like I mentioned, part of the reason I was attracted to that Bug Fish list was because it was a hybrid deck. I think there was a hybrid deck that did well a few weeks ago. I might, I might be mistaken. It won this very large vintage event in Philadelphia. <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I, 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 I could be crazy. I, I, I don't. I, didn't, I thought Stax won that event, right? Because that's I, what everyone's afraid of? Uh, maybe. <laughs> I mean, candidly, they should be. And scoreboard aside for Brian winning that event, like it was like, some absurd number of the top 32 was workshop, and uh, it's just, it's not, which I'm sure we can get into format health a little later, but that's, I would like to see, I would like to see some things change, and that is one of the, one of the things I would like to see change. Is, I, yeah. I like that there were no changes leading up to the event, but now that the event has gone through, I think something needs to happen. Oh, 100% agree. I remember last year, because one of the things I was mentioning was after that deck, I built with, with initially with Brian's help, from the list he initially gave me and came up with, I probably changed, like, 30 cards plus an entire sideboard difference. So, like, at that point, I'm like, no, this is now my deck. Like, yes, there was this shell, and you initially invented the shell back in 2009. 
and then you kind of revived it after seeing a status of mine saying, I want to play with Time Vault again. And, because you weren't playing Time Vault in that Tropical Storm Oath deck. It was like, I miss Time Vault, I want to play Time Vault. And I asked my friend, now teammate Kevin, what's the best Time Vault deck? He goes, oh, Steel City Vault. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> I tested and tweaked that deck for a year and a half leading up to Champs. I knew that that was going to be the first, the first Champs I ever played was going to be with that deck. I put in so much work and got it so tuned, and it was so, like, rock solid against the field. Shops wasn't great. Like, Shops was probably 50, it was very die roll dependent, but... You know, as, it, as it is for most matchups. But comparatively to Storm, it was so much more favored because you only needed to resolve one spell. And it destroyed Bugfish despite the Null Rod because I knew how to play against that. Because it's not... It got featured in the VSL and it was not... It got featured in the VSL post-cons, which is what I'm leading up to. But, like, you know, Bugfish was actually a very good matchup despite the fact that you were an artifact-based combo deck and they had Null Rods. Because you, what you did is you turned to this big mana control deck that wrote out Inkwell Leviathan, your Jace, and your Dakfade, with sitting behind Misdirections and Force of Wills and just free counter spells. And then they printed Console Truck here, and the Delve spells <laughs> happened, and the format just, you know, it was like a month before, so a year and a half worth of, like, just testing. A year and a half worth of just tuning and testing and tweaking, just gone. <laughs> and I yeah. still did, I still did, I came in 28th at that event, you know, which for... It's very respectable. You know, for first champs, I, I started 1-2-1. One, one. I lost to my now teammate, uh, Harishi, who was on, uh, kind of like this Esper Control Mana Drain moat deck, and it was the first time in my life... With that deck, I lost to Mana Drain Control, and I was like, of course. He's 2013, right? 2014. Oh, 14, okay. So he, he had been playing for a year at this time. Yeah. To keep, keep so everyone re realizes, Harishi is brand new to the game. Harishi All things yeah. considered, brand new to the game, and... Harishi learned how to play Magic in 2013, and he learned with Reed Duke's Grimlong deck that he top-aided that... top-fought that champs with. That was his first introduction to Magic, which is... Why is a degenerate? Why I love him? And why he's on my team? But I just like. <laughs> All right, you're gonna learn how to play piano. Here is the most complicated symphony ever. Go, basically. And then he just does it. Yeah. Which is, I'm I'm in awe when when somebody told me that he'd been playing for he's been for two years. I'm just like, yeah, he's he is he is very good. And for those of you who don't know what we're who we're talking about is uh, East Coast player. His name's uh, Harishi Siddhartha. You might want to get him. He he came up with he's revived Turbo Academy, and I he... I am a huge proponent of history and Academy decks. I've always loved because it was about the point where at the end of Academy is when combo decks stopped having to count their mana, and it was just infinite loop. I win into nine spells and tendrils. I win. So like. Urza's Saga was a huge... Combo Winter is what they called it. I've always had a huge soft spot for that deck because I've... Like, when I was younger, I liked to you know, just mess around with those because they were so cool and the things they could do and all that other stuff. And to see a Minamo school at Water's Edge <laughs> untap a Tolarian Academy is the, the greatest thing I've ever seen. I, I feel like I've told him that yeah. six times that every time I said it happened, I'm just like, this is the coolest thing that's ever happened. Yeah, he is... He has somehow made a blue combo deck that is favored against shops and even to a dog against blue decks. I don't know how he did it, but, like, I'm happy to call him a friend. I'm happy to call him a teammate. Expect great things from him in the future. He is very young, and he has a lot of potential, and I cannot say enough good things about him. He has a lot of respect for history, too. Yeah. Like, um, the, the Vinci's League, 
what when I think his I forget what the player's name was, but he was playing his deck in it. And he made a few changes. Rishi told me about the changes he made to it. I noticed that he like he had Mind Over Matter in his deck. Mind, like I love Mind Over Matter, and I used to build it like I used to build like a bunch of stuff around it. My my one Mind Over Matter I could play. I would build combo decks into uh, the one I remember, Quicksilver Dagger. You could tap, deal a damage, draw a card, that sort of thing. Quicksilver Dagger, and it's just to see Mind Over Matter like. Untapping a time vault is hilarious. Yeah, and the other thing, yeah, that was about to say, the thing that, the interaction that I missed, which is funny because I built this time vault deck, was Mind Over Matter Time Vault. The interaction he missed, which I told him about, was if you have a library in play, <laughs> you draw your deck. Yes. <laughs> well, assuming you have seven cards in your hand, you can activate the library, but if you have a library in play, you draw your deck. I really like the library too because he plays all the time spirals, it untaps the library. Oh, so yeah. that I have seven, I have now have eight, I untapped it using yeah, the time spiral untap, and it's just. I love it. It's there's so many card interactions in that deck. How has this person been playing for two years? It's ridiculous. Yeah. Time, Time Spiral Academy was actually something I don't know. It's, it's obviously something that was done before, but that was one of the happier accidents I found out in Angel City Vault, where I'd finished my power, and I don't consider Time Twister power. Like I consider Time Vault power over Time Twister, and I, so I'd finished my power, but I still didn't have a Twister. I went to this you know local vintage event in LA, and I was like, I'm not gonna, I don't want a proxy. Like I'm gonna be snooty. This is my first time. And I had some store credit from previous vintage winnings. There was a time spiral in the case for, you know, $15. And I was like, yeah, it's close enough. And then the first game I ever cast it, I untapped an academy that was tapping for like five. And I'm like, oh, 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 this isn't just filler. Okay, we need to make a cut for this. And then like the next game was, that was just the indication that the next game I mind desired into time spiral to untap my academy. I'm like, ah, all right, we're... <laughs> You, you, you felt the power that people in 1999 felt when they were playing that, that card Whoa. interaction. They're both from the same set. No, uh, my desire is from Scourge. No, 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 I oh, meant sure. Time Spiral, Plarin Academy. Sure, but doing it for free off of my side. <laughs> that, was, that was a great feeling. It's like, oh, I'm just going to cast, like, and then I'm going to reshuffle my Mind Desire back in, and then I'm going to draw it in my opening because I have a billion mana, and then recast it for, like, 30-something later that turn, which... I have definitely mind desired for a hundred in that deck. Like three times in the turn, the third time was like a hundred. And yes, technically I was dead because I didn't have a tendrils to kill them, and this was like a goldfish exercise. But who cares? You mind desired for a hundred. <laughs> you won the game. You drop the mic, walk away from the table, and then don't actually walk that far because you have power. And don't yeah, walk. clean up and then walk. Away. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess we've been hinting at it. So we'll go straight into it. Your team, Team Degen. Yeah. Feel free. Go ahead. You have free reign. Okay. So, this is basically, I made this back in, actually it was the beginning of 2014 when uh, Ari Lax messaged me on Facebook talking about how, because he knew I played Vintage, and we'd actually first met back in 2011 at Worlds in San Francisco. I introduced myself to him, and I, I gave him a hard time for an article that he wrote that it was uh, ad nauseum, a legacy ad nauseum deck with a transformational doomsday sideboard, where he was like, yeah, no, this is just basically strictly better. You don't need to know how to... Because you just beat Counterbalance with Doomsday. And this was pre-Miracles. This is 2011. Way, way pre-Miracles. It's like, oh, yeah, no, you don't need to know how to cast this card. You just cast it. And then you just, like, stack Emrakul and Sheldock Island and you win. It does. It's not as hard as people say. And I'm like, all right, I buy it. So I played it in my first Star City Open ever. And every time I cast the card, I lost. <laughs> like, That's usually needs to be the reverse. Yeah, it, I mean, it does, but realistically <laughs> it was, you know, it was the single hardest spell I have ever resolved. It was... I, I think it still is. Yeah. I think it still is. Brian Kibler, who was sitting next to me in one of my matches, his opponent was like, what does that card do? He's like, black, 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 pay half your life, the game ends. We don't know who wins, but the game is now over. You know, so I, I gave him 
give him a bit of a hard time for that because I definitely did not perform as well in that tournament as I theoretically could have if I had a real sideboard and I wasn't casting Doomsday. Um, but he messaged me in 2014 and he was like, yeah, you're right, Vintage is great, I'm just a giant fish for not buying in earlier. I don't know if he actually said that, that might be me spicing up the story and I'm saying that to cover his cover his tracks, but he was like, yeah, Vintage is great. And I was like, what, what what's making you say this? He's there's a local shop in Boston, because he lives in Boston, that's, like, down the street that has unlimited proxy vintage for, like, $5, you know, once a week, and I played it, and it's just the best format in Magic, which, accurate statement. And so I kind of had this genesis of working together, and what it is, ideally taking Pro Tour-level, like, preparation, applying it to a vintage setting. It's like, this is, look, vintage champs for, you know, I... I Realistically, only play Vintage and Legacy. I I actually played in the standard Grand Prix in San Diego because it was a hometown GP a few, uh, I guess almost a month ago. Yeah, it was a month. I actually was at that GP. I just played the Legacy side events because I didn't really like, I don't really like standard. I didn't like, I didn't really like standard. I don't like standard very much. I didn't like standard then, but I I borrowed literally every card, which led to people thinking I was, you know, more of a foil, a foil, like, pimp-out guy than I was, because, like, all of my nieces, my flip nieces, were Comic-Con nieces. <laughs> the guy I was borrowing from had Comic-Con nieces, so, you know. <laughs> but I played it because it's like, look, I want to get in nine rounds of Magic before I fly across the country in two weeks and play nine what I thought was going to be nine rounds of Magic ended up being ten. Actually, well, I scooped in the last round, which we'll get to later, but it so effectively was nine you know, nine rounds of magic, and I don't want the mental endurance to be... I don't want my mental endurance to be shocked, because I knew I was playing Charbelcher. I knew I was playing Charbelcher since April, when I found the list. You were, you were handed the tech down from the heavens. Yeah, I was, and as I mentioned in on the Eternal Weekend stream, it was three in the morning, I was running around my room where I lived with my girlfriend, <laughs> screaming how I broke the format, and, you know, I knew... I literally hadn't changed a card since main deck card since April, and I knew I was playing that list. I knew it was going to be very sequencing heavy and very demanding. And I didn't want, you know, to be sitting down in round nine playing for a win and in, because I couldn't draw in. Just have my brain running down my ear, because I've been, you know, playing this deck all day, and uh, that I hadn't really put in any tournament reps with, because I didn't want the list to get spoiled. So I pl- that's why I played the Grand Prix. The genesis of the team was, you take Pro Tour level testing, you apply it to this tournament, which is our Pro Tour. No one else is really doing that. We'll just be better prepared, and we'll be like, you know, if you follow ProMagic, we'll be like, effectively, what Channel Fireball was back in, like, 2010, 2011, 2012, during that run of, like, you know, two or three years where they didn't fail to put someone in the top eight of the Pro Tour, because they were the only super team that was really meeting up and putting in this level of work, and so they were just better prepared than everyone, and then they were good enough players that it just showed. The goal was to do that. It was obviously, you know, because because you had people you know, like Ari who had to use, obviously had to be more focused on pro magic. It was, you put in as much time as you, you take it seriously, but put in as much time as you need. As it expanded, it's now like non-committal in the sense that it's, I want, I want to help my friends. And if they have other ties to other teams, it's just like, okay, like you can, like, I'm not asking for exclusivity, but if we, you know, keep what we say here, unless, you know, you ask permission, we say go ahead and share it, but if it's in, you know, if it's on our page, it stays on our page. It started off as myself, um, my friend Kevin Long, who is an L.A. kind of fixture, because he is, he's been playing Magic since mid-2000s, he's also just this eternal degenerate, and he's the judge for all the eternal events, because he's, oh, excellent. we, 
all the all the events are staples are are staples based. You know, for like dual lands and jaces and charmagoths, and he owns all those, and he owns owns all those in foil because you know he's a he's a degenerate. There was a point in 2013 where he got a deck tech and it was like mono white stacks and legacy, and he was playing like two tabernacles, because he just finished his playset of Ravages of War, he's like, yeah, because the deck wasn't expensive enough already, I added a second tabernacle. Like, joke, you know, very tongue-in-cheek <laughs> comment, but that's, you know, he's a degenerate like that. What year was it? 2013. It was so San- they're, they're only $200 back then. Yeah, San Diego. It was yeah. uh, Star City San Diego. Yeah, they weren't as expensive as they were now, but they were still, <laughs> like, you know, no, a non-zero amount of money. Yeah. And it was one more than the normal list required, but he's like, I've got to, why not? English, of course? Yeah, of course. Um... <laughs> No corners cut. Yeah, and he and I, he's an EMT also, so this is also talking about the quality of person he is. So he literally, he sa- he works 24-hour shifts and saves lives, then despite the fact he's dead tired, he comes in and runs, like, magic events. Like, the, the honestly, T.O.'s, I, I think, is the, the best part about the Vinci scene is just that Brian talked about it a bunch, and it's like, for people who keep everything going and make sure events have good price support, it's just, it's great. I love it. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, thank thank you all for you you know your work for what what you do for running events and for those of you, full disclaimer I am a judge I have drawn the black shirt and been on that side this is not me trying to stroke my own ego this is you really I, most people aren't aware of how much work it goes into and goes on behind the scenes and how much candidly of a dumpster fire it can be and like you know the world is burning down but the players don't like. Sometimes get a hint where it's like the round is delayed a little longer, but realistically, the fact that if a round's delayed like 15 minutes, you, if it takes 15 minutes, there is something chaotic going on and something hectic, and the fact that it's only 15 minutes is just a testament to the hard work and the dedication of these people, and for for theoretical money, like like yeah. they get the the foils that have a high value. No, not, not always. Anymore. No, 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 that changed. That changed. Uh, you no longer get foils at comp for a grand race. Really? Yeah. That changed back in 2000... Might have been the beginning... Either the beginning... No, it was the beginning of this year. That changed. They, they don't get foils anymore. They get, paid, uh, they get paid cash. Oh, okay. They can get cash or credit, but either way, it's, it's... It is still, for the amount of hours you put in, you're not doing it to make a profit. You're doing it because you love this game and you love helping people. And it is oftentimes thankless work because not many people outside of the program or outside of people who have done this ever really try to you know, ever really thank these people, you hear a lot of the time, you hear a lot of the, oh, the judge screwed me over story. But you never hear... focus on the negative more than the positive. Right. These guys are great. Going back to Kevin specifically, the way he and I think is, you know, we each kind of have this idea, and we both are, you know, and it's both a solid idea, but it's like, I'm 135, he's 246, and so when we talk about it, we just fact-check each other, and things line up beautifully, and... Until the day where I have to hang up my spurs, as it were, because I'm hoping to one day work at Wizards. He and I will probably be on lockstep at Champs until one of us stops. <laughs> we were in lockstep last year uh, with Angel City Vault. Uh, he unfortunately ran into Hate Bears, and my plan for Hate Bears that event was win round one. And he unfortunately ran into Hate Bears round one, uh, beat Will McGran round two on Shops, and then lost to Hate Bears again round three. <laughs> And he would have been on Belcher this year, but I got a text on Friday, and I said this on coverage. I got a text on Friday saying how he had a sinus infection, and he couldn't make There's no way you can concentrate with that. I don't know if you've ever had one, but... It's not even that. You can't get on a plane. You can't... No, it's it's the pressure will, like... Oh, wow. The the pressure does bad... I don't know exactly what it does, but it it is medically unsafe to fly if you have a sinus infection. 
and he knows this because he's an EMT, so he's like, I can't, I can't go, and I was just like, I got a text, and I kind of knew it too, and I was like, YOLO? He goes, no, no, too much, too much of a risk, can't, can't YOLO it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just, my, all my experience with judges, I love it, because it's like their parents, Honestly, because I, I, I saw at the, at, the, at the Grand Prix, I saw so many judges like like that that second judge yell happens. Doesn't matter what event they're part of, they're just yeah. dart right to it and that 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 kind of dedication. That it's not even like no, I never saw a single judge like look at it and be like, oh, that's not my event. No, they always were just right on it. And it's definitely a labor of love. And if you haven't thanked your local judge lately, please do. Yeah, typically the only time where you say they would walk by is if they are in the middle of another task. And for the sake of tournament efficiency, like handing out match slips, and for the sake of the speed of the tournament, that is a more important task at the moment, and they have to they have to fill it. Or they're, they're in the middle of like putting out a fire that the players <laughs> don't know about, but there's you know there's a there's a theoretical fire going on. And it's not it's not a slight. It's there is a point where yes, judge calls are important, but one judge call does not take precedence over the entire event. So that would be you know. Typically, you wait like 30 more seconds, and then another one shows up. So yeah, that, that's why Kevin's great. That's why Kevin is great. He's just a great person. He's a great player. He's just great lines of thought. He can play. He's played so long, you play any deck fairly well. The next person was Ben Perry, who he's kind of, I guess, the unsung. The he's the member of RIW who doesn't really get talked about, but you know, he's he has enough skills that on one of his Star City Legacy Open Top Eights. When Patrick Chapin was doing commentary, Chapin referred to him as Vintage Master. Like, Vintage Master Ben Perry, because he tore up R.I.W., which, you know, Michael Jacob, Brian DeMars, Patrick Chapin, Ari Lax, like, a host of talent coming out of that, Kyle Bogamus, host of talent coming out of that store playing vintage events. He destroyed them back in the mid, mid-2000s. mid Along with Nat Moss, he kind of simultaneously, independently came up with Red, Green, Charbelcher, and Legacy in the mid-2000s. So he's partially responsible for that beast. He is, I believe... It was the first open top eight with the deck back in 2011. He went 6-0-2. The two draws were intentional in the Swiss to make top eight. He has the most top eights with the deck at three. I know he has three. He might have four. I believe he has the most top eights. Um, I'm sure I'm going to get fact-checked on this, on both these statements, but this is what I believe to be true. Either way, he's he is a fantastic player. He's also a great person. He's taken time out of his day to, like, back when he lived in Los Angeles, you know, drive across... Bear through LA traffic for no personal to gain to help me on the earliest shell of my Eureka deck. And he was the first player I ever really looked up to when I got into Magic, like, locally. It's an honor to work with him. He is... He's very much a character, and I love him for that, but when he decides he's going to do something, he is very... He puts his whole heart and soul into it, and he is very dedicated, and he gets... And he becomes very good very quickly. I appreciate his unique thought of the game. He's, he's since... He's since become a harbinger of the robot apocalypse, which in a weird way makes sense for him because Shops is very sequencing based, and so is Charbelcher, so it fits into his playstyle. Having his perspective on workshops and knowing the caliber of player he will be when he puts after he puts in the amount of time needed, the amount of like I couldn't I couldn't be more honored to work with him. The last orig- I guess original member was Ari Lax. Pro Tour champion. Pro Tour champion. Pro Tour champion, Grand Prix team Grand Prix champion. I think individual Grand Prix champion too. The best BS detector I've ever met in any person with any card game ever in terms of not only being able to read a field, but consistently show up with the best deck for that room. Even if it's not him doing it, it's a teammate. The ability to look at a deck and go, yeah, this this is suboptimal by 
you get four cards. This idea is like you know close, but you need like this particular this piece. He's the one who in my Belcher list. He's the one who found City of Solitude. You know, he's just in. He was staying at my house for the Grand Prix, and it was 11 p.m. in a supermarket. We were getting food because uh, Craig Wesco was also staying at my house, and he's vegan, so we needed to bring food with him to the site for day two. We were standing in a 24-hour supermarket, and he's like. And I was talking about this debate of, well, I don't like Defense Grid because they can pay for it, and it's an artifact, and they blow it up post-board, but I don't like Xantaswarm because it gets misstepped, and even though misstep realistically isn't that good against you, they'll still keep it in, and I don't know what to do, and I want this, like, lock effect, and he's like, what about City of Solitude? Oops. Oh. <laughs> oh. That'll do it. <laughs> that, that card's so ridiculous, because it also cuts off activated ability. Yes, it does. <laughs> that means that, I, I don't even know, it's crazy. that means that, if you, for some reason, have it, and your opponent has... Cut off the Forge Master, Kosali Pride Mage. Pr um, Pride Mage, there we go. Pride Sensei, Mage is Sensei's a good Divining one. Top. Sensei's Divining Top. It's, it's just, it's so ridiculous, like, the, the amount of stuff it can do. Yeah. Also, his work ethic is unparalleled. And he can't put as much time into this as the rest of us who only exclusively play this format. Because he has, you know, tournaments across the world to prepare for, in addition to being an, an engineer. Like, yeah, he has a day job. <laughs> also, just a fantastic guy, and he gets a lot of, he gets some bad raps for being, I guess, emotional and exuberant, but it's, he really is one of the nicest, when you get to know him, he is one of the nicest guys out there, and it's, you have to understand who he is in his nature, and he is very animated, and he is very interactive, and he is... And I understand this, because I'm the same way. He, he will talk to you through games. He'll just be like, okay, so you're doing, like, okay, so he's like, on turn three, it's like, okay, so you're casting Dakbait and I'm dead? <laughs> he will be that guy. It, but it's not it's not out of malice. It's, this is who he is as a person. This is, he, he, he is passionate. He is just a passionate individual. It shines through in everything that he does. So that was the... The thing, the core. Yeah, that was the, that was the original four. I'm trying to think of who else we just... You know, I'm, I'm trying to think of, like, just chronologically how it progressed. Originally, actually, also, the core was a good friend of mine, uh, Jennifer Wong, who is... She's a workshops player. She... <laughs> I feel like I have failed. I, I taught her Eternal Magic. Her deck of choice in Legacy, she doesn't really play Legacy anymore because it's fallen out of favor, but her deck of choice in Legacy was Maverick, and her deck of choice in Vintage is Workshops. I failed somewhere along the line. I don't know <laughs> where. I tried my best. I'm sorry. Public apology. I'm sorry. At the time, she was, she's one of the best workshops, when, when she's on her game, because everyone has their off days, when she's on her game, she's one of the best workshop players in Southern California, and for a long time, she was the only workshop player in Southern California, so that was an important resource to have access to. She has since left the team due to obligations of just, she is a lawyer, she's busy. A lot of Magic players are lawyers, I've been finding. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it, 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 the law is very, you know, at least the groundwork, it's very logical, and it also, at least for Eternal, it's because things don't necessarily change that often, it's when you are so busy, you don't have to relearn an entire format and rebuy an entire collection. It's, okay, I found some free time, finally, I can go play Magic. Okay, yeah. Yeah, she's since left due to work obligations. Then, some point in July, and I still can't believe he said yes, um, I messaged uh, Joel Lim. <laughs> Joel, Joel Lim, the 2013 champion. 2013 champion with Merfolk, which <laughs> was, you know, you can laugh, but that was a brilliant read for that field, because Creature Creature. I was thinking about him in the painting, as it's like the best picture yeah. ever. Uh, creature decks hadn't really caught on yet. They kind of started, started to catch on, but that style of Creature deck where just you had so many, and they became so big so quickly, and no rot, candidly, which was a forgotten pillar since Brainstorm's Restriction, it just... 
people were not prepared for it, and he sliced and diced his way through that field. And he played well, and he ran a little hot, because you have to do an event. But it was it was a brilliant choice for that room. I messaged him, because it's like, look, we are a bunch of combo degenerates, you know, and we need a fair deck player. We need we need a fish player, because at the time, Bugfish was the best deck in the format. Precons. Still precons. Yes, yes. I'm, and, I'm assuming precons. And I messaged him, it was like, would you want to work together? I had had one interaction with him previously. It was at Grand Prix uh, DC, the Legacy Grand Prix that Owen Turnwald won with True Nemesis. I, I talked to him because the Troll and Toad booth had the Ancestral painting. It had the painting, and I was like, "All right, I I, I need to know how much it's being sold." It's like, I'm not going to buy it. It's clearly going to be way too much, but I I need to know how much like they're asking for it. I'm just for a baseline. Like, it's not for sale. I'm like, "Oh, then why do you have it?" It's like, "Oh, the guy who won it is like working as a buyer." I'm like, "Joel's here." Oh, <laughs> so I introduced myself. It was the only interaction I'd ever had with him. He said yes. He's also just, you know, shocker, this is kind of a trend. Just a quality human being. One thing, you know, he always goes out of his way to help his friends. He has a lot of great insight into the game. He's been actually, he was, he had not been in vintage that long since he won with Merfolk. He had been playing, like, back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Like, he was grinding PTQs alongside Patrick Sullivan in New Jersey. And Pat, Patrick Sullivan thinks, you know, heads up, has... When he made an April Fool's status about quitting Magic, Patrick Sullivan commented, you're one of the best people I've met in this game. I hope life treats you with nothing but, you know, good things and happiness. And, you know, it's kind of funny that P. Sully fell for that, but... <laughs> but realistically, it's like, you know, he's got the Patrick Sullivan seal of approval, which is, at least in my mind, and for the people who know him, that is a, you know, that is a very strong seal of approval. The one thing I will say I felt bad about last year was Joel was the only one not out of the five of us who went at the time was not playing Angel City Vault, so he had to play Merfolk again, because we couldn't find him a deck, and I still felt bad, I felt bad for not finding him a deck, because he put in so much work, we tested, I tested with him a lot, despite his very busy schedule, he helped me really understand the intricacies of those kind of matchups, and his range is a lot larger than that, too, like, he played, he played the Belcher deck this year, for example, just another great guy, another very solid player, at Eternal Weekend last year, I ran into, went out to dinner with, and then started talking with, became friends with, and added him. Uh, Tom Dixon, who is just this East Coast East Coast vintage phenom. Not only can he win with like the craziest decks that feature like Stasis, hold on, Stasis, the new Planeswalker, the Teamer Planeswalker, uh, Sarkin Unbroken, Sarkin Unbroken. He had regular Garrick in there. He had regular Garrick. He had Fairlease. Fairlease. Our <laughs> uh, Fairlease. Fairlease. I just fell in love instantly. I, I don't know why, but I've always liked Stasis as a card. I guess I just don't like having friends at all. Eh. Um, <laughs> and I just like I just was reading through the list, and I was just... There's like, what, 11 Planeswalkers? Something like that. 11 Planeswalkers. So everyone, when they think of Planeswalkers Vintage, it's J-Stack. And then he's like, well, what about these guys? And they're like, oh, you're funny, Tom. And then yeah, he, in addition then, then their moxes don't untap for five turns. And they're like, okay, all right. Yeah, it's his... His ability not only to brew and to innovate decks is fantastic, but his his pulse on the vintage metagame is so good. Pretty much accurately predicted the field both at last year's champs, which was huge because we pegged Workshop wrong. Because at last year we still thought we were still working under the dated notion that Terra Nova was the best shops deck because that was the deck that Bugfish that was the version of shops that Bugfish didn't crush. We had failed to adjust to the fact that for Treasure Cruise Delver. Rain over Terranova, like like does care Usain Bolt going through a marathon, like it just boom, 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 boom. It was it was ugly, and so we hadn't adjusted to that, which led to a 
last-minute scramble at the dealer booths for eight copy of Smelt. <laughs> Which I did find, but it was definitely not something I had anticipated, and it was pretty stressful. <laughs> I was literally about to start op opening sealed packs of, like, M12. Which were the only thing the dealers, like, a dealer booth had until I found, until I found them. It was, like, the last one, and it was Saturday night as they were closing. <laughs> it was, it was ugly. Yeah, also, also just a fantastic guy. Very, lot of, lot of innovations. Very correct read. He worked with Sullivan Brophy on his, on the dredge list, both at the NYSE and at Champs this year. He will be extremely humble and take none of the credit. I actually talked to them about it. I was like, did you come up with that list? He goes, no, it was mostly Sullivan. I just helped out with. I, I helped out here and there, and realistically, it was, like, you know, based on another list that I had found in the past. Like, it was definitely not my work, like, but, you know, he he definitely had some say in it. It was, I, I once again, he might yell at me for this, but I think it was him that came up with the idea of the Barbarian Rings. Barbarian which he'll, 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 he'll probably tell me that it was, no, it was actually based on, like, another idea back, because he's very humble in, the, in that regard. Extremely smart, extremely quick-witted, really invaluable in terms of walking into a room, just him and Ari together walking into a room, it's he has his pulse on the metagame and then Ari figures out what's going to be the most efficient way to attack it. In his weekend stay staying at my house, because he couldn't go to Vintage Champs because he had to test for real worlds, he was like, yeah, the successful blue decks this weekend aren't going to be running two to three missteps because shots is going to be too much of a force and they're not going to be able to force, be able to self-cannibalize. And there are going to be people with four, but they will fall out quickly. And all the top blue decks in those lists were like two misstep, three misstep. It was just, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's something something he said. He had not been paying attention to Vintage all that much. He kind of, you know, through talking with me and through just keeping up. But he just, Ari, that was Ari, not Tom. Ari just understood that. Tom also understood that. He's like, yeah, no, it's going to be Dredge. It's going to be Mentor. Oath, traditional Fenton-style Oath, Gristlebrand Show and Tell. Oath is not going to be popular because Mentor actually pushes it out because Mentor has the ability to risk Bristlebrand. Shops is going to be there, and it's going to be like the Frobots version, and it's going to be the best. It's it's realistically going to be the, the most common deck in the room. You should play Dredge this weekend. I wasn't, you know, he, he also knew about the Belcher deck, and he understand why I was playing it. But he's like, look, if you want to win this event, you should like play Dredge. And if I can pilot the deck well, I'm going to play this deck. It's, you know, I think Rich Shea, for example, Dr. Rich Shea. Dr. Rich Shea. Would have loved nothing more than to play Mana Drains, Mind Slavers, and Goblin Wellers. He played Workshop because he wanted to win the event. Because he knew I, I saw that audible, and I understood it hundred percent. It it wasn't an audible. It was uh, no, not not uh, an audible. Yeah. I understood yeah. that choice, that deck yeah. choice. Audible implies like last minute. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I understand that deck choice. I'd seen him playing Workshops a lot, and to see him on Workshop for this event, it made perfect sense. Yeah, it's, like, it's the reason Brian Demars, the patron saint of Mana Drain was playing Workshops at this event, and played Workshop at the NYSE. It's because Vintage is fun, but I want to win this event. And for, at least specifically for Brian, winning for him very much is fun. And he can have fun as long as he's winning. Not a knock, I don't mean to say that as a dig, and if that comes off as a dig, I, I apologize. It's just, some people are like that, and that's candidly why some people, why he is very good at Magic, because he will do everything in his power to win, because that's how he has fun. Yeah, that's understandable. Yeah, that's, that's not a dig in any way, that's just a statement. So the new player I know you got, yeah. uh, Matt Murray. Yeah, Matt Murray. We just I after going out to dinner with him this weekend, or uh, this this not this this Eternal, weekend, Eternal, Eternal weekend. weekend. Yeah, because I know he's East Coast too, right? Yeah, he's East yeah. Coast. He he's actually I guess one of the latest additions. He just after just talking with him and hearing the way he builds decks and the way he thinks about the game, he came up with this this he essentially no pun intended trying to has revived Warlord Dragon with Jace Friend's Prodigy and he he should just marry that card. 
honestly. He loves that card so much. Dragon or Jace? Jace. It, the card's insane! I know the card's insane, but just, like, every every deck I see from him, because yeah, I, I am friends with him, and yeah. I, I've, I've talked with him. Well, I've, I haven't talked to him as much as I'd like to. I will be in the future more. Just He just puts it in every deck, and honestly, he's never wrong. At this point, it is hard to imagine a deck without it. I think it was Demars. He tweeted, "Bryn's Prodigy is better than Mind Sculptor in the current state of Vintage. It's because it's cheaper." I actually first ran into it with another future teammate, the, the champ Brian Kelly, who was a late add at the end of this year before Champs, and he played it. And he, the first time he minus in air quotes flashback, realistically, Yogmoth's willed a gush and bounced those two islands. I was like, "Oh, huh? Well, all right, this card's real." I do like the fact that it starts as a creature, so it does have some balance to it. So I don't think it's, like, overpowered. It's just really solid. The creature's also insane because it fuels Delve. That's that's the thing. It's like, if the Delve spells weren't in the form, it's part of the reason why I, when Dakvane was initially spoiled, I was very high on him because of just synergies with, like, Goblin Welder, unparalleled card selection, and just the artifact ability is great. But then the Delve spells got printed, and then it became, you know... In addition to do everything he was doing, add two mana to your mana pool. It was like, okay, yeah, no, this is the best Planeswalker in Vintage. It's the fact that the graveyard is such a relevant resource and a relevant zone, and having cards there is great. And you could, with the Delve spells, if you don't want your Jace to flip, you could control it and just exile the cards and then re just keep digging. And it's a creature that slips under the Thorn of Amethyst and chops and can jump block if you need to and just draws you to your lands and just blocks spirit tokens. Does block spirit tokens. Why would you ever be... I don't think you'd ever want that in an open <laughs> As just... The first one, one, I guess I should say Pyromancer Tokens. It, it does block Pyromancer does block Pyromancer Tokens, yes. I just... I, I could see somebody doing it. I could see Brian Kelly doing it. <laughs> I didn't um, want to say it, but you said I'll it. I'll say yeah. it. I mean, I'm not saying this as a dig at him. It's He's very innovative, and I also know he's very high on the card. So, oath into a Planeswalker. Why not? It's probably sounds... already going to flip, because you... you Oath your, you know, your graveyard, I mean, and then you can... From a man who's oathed up Trinket Mage... Yep. I do not see... I do not... Don't put it past him. It's like oathing up... It's it's like you were saying earlier, it's like oathing... It's a turn delay, but it's oathing up a Snapcaster Mage. Right. It's, yeah, you're most likely going to flip the next turn. Yeah, yeah it's, it's... It's... Yeah, it's... Okay, so... So, yeah. Any 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 more? Oh, yeah. Actually, it's... Couple, it. Um. So we got Tom. We have Justin Franks, who's a local guy who's a combo enthusiast, who... Once again, shocker! Great guy, have, you know, nothing nice things to say about him. He has a lot of potential. It's it's kind of like Hirishi, who he's he's just gotten back into the game, and he's still feeling his way through the waters. When he figures out a deck, he figures it out, and he plays it very well, and he has a lot of raw talent. He has a lot of enthusiasm. He might not... He's not yet at the level of, like, an Ari Lax, or a Joel Lim, or a Brian Kelly, but he has the right attitude to get there. And I think one of the... One of the great things about a team is everyone helping everyone better each other. I want to help, like, I want to help him get better, and I know he'll help me get better, too, because, like, never... One of the most important things I took out of Pro Tour testing, when I was, you know, had, had the privilege to watch Craig in his eventual championship run, was the word why. It might seem like an asinine question, and it may, like, you know, you a lot of players don't understand. Like, kind of like the grinder-level players... I feel like, oh, I don't need to ask because I just should theoretically understand this because I'm good enough. But it's not that you don't necessarily understand it, but it's you want to make sure that not only your logic is correct, because you can just assume it's correct, but what if it's not? And having people better than you or at your skill level verify that you had the right line of thought is great, but it makes other people defend their logic. If you defend their logic, 
is in the process of defending their logic, you can either you either find a hole or they themselves find a hole. It's just like, oh, okay. It's it's not that the answer is correct; it's the path to the answer. And so, having someone who is has that potential to be great, but it's still rough, and he's still learning, and he will ask why. You know, you can learn lessons from people who are not at your level because even if they don't un- intrinsically understand it explaining it will not only help them get better, but it'll help you get better because it'll fact check yourself, it'll strengthen your logic, and it'll help with communication skills, which will help when you need to ask these questions or you talk to people who are on your on your level. It'll help you make sure, find the lines of logic quicker. And just having someone like that who's just a sponge for information. It's kind of like Hirishi, who I think is a bit further along just because Justin is also has a, has a real-world job. He's a very successful music producer. Just also in terms of creativity too, it's another reason why I added him. He's he is in the music business. You know the the Wiz he's he's gonna hate me for doing this. I'm sorry in advance, but the Wiz Khalifa song, Charlie Puth song, "See You Again," that was number one in the country. Yeah, he wrote that. He's like one of the writers <laughs> of that. Wow. Like very creative person, obviously very busy, but he's just a sponge and he's enthusiastic and he's a great guy. And I formed this team to help out my friends, and he's a very good friend. You know, he's. He has really figured, started to really, Storm has really started to click for him, and just his ability to play that deck, and his ability to just understand it, and my ability to talk with him about it, because I keep, I, I kind of have a Storm deck as a pet deck at the moment, which I might get into later, but I'm trying to fit Pulverize into Storm, which is very long story short. And just, so the ability to talk with him about a deck, because when he understands it, he understands it. It's just invaluable. Added him, this guy named Roland Chang. <laughs> He's another. He's another non-exclusive member. He works back east. Works back east. But I, I believe Roland is the best shops player in the world. I, I can't say enough the, about the, the guy. story behind Roland. Yeah. I, I wanted to mention it earlier, but I think that the story of Roland best illustrates why the vintage community is so great. So I don't know if everyone knows, but one fateful day at Neutral Ground, Roland had his entire collection stolen from him. Like like most of his expensive stuff. It was, I, 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 I've, I've been to that neutral ground, it's now closed, so, you know, I still have the playmat, though, I still use that. Nice. And nice. that that's, like, my last bit of, because I'm from New York originally, and I used to play there a bunch, used to play the BTQs and stuff, and so I know how that room is, and he went to, I think he went to buy, like, a drink or something, and the person he was trading with went to, like, get some paper from the people behind the desk, and left his collection unattended, and it got grabbed, and it got ran out through the back, because they had a back exit, and... Like when that happened to him, he was he was gonna quit because he lost all of his stuff, everything. It's his 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 vintage cards, his collection, his rares. Is like basically you're not gonna do anything with junk rares and comments. You know, you you when you and this was a while ago, but that stuff is still expensive because he had beta and all that stuff. And the fact that he's with help from everybody, like the whole community was like, this is horrible. They helped him out. Trades, donations, a bunch of other stuff. Like he is back to fully beta powered. Yeah. Foil uh, Japanese, I think. And it's just like to from a, if you if you had told anybody that when they, they did his deck tech that did you know that seven eight years ago that his entire high end part of his collection was stolen they wouldn't believe you. Yeah. He is. Was he also a great guy? He is. The praise I can give to on him is once again Richay, Doctor Richay has told me that he's never seen Roland make a mistake, and that Roland's poker face is just absurd. He's Roland's one of the few people that he can't read, which is... And, and he is the most instance of workshop turn and spear 
I've seen ever. I'm not. I'm, this is not a dig. He is just. He is good at drawing that. And it, I'm not saying. It's, well, he's an alterist, so he is good at drawing on trainers. <laughs> <laughs> like his alters are really nice. I think my favorite one's the Babam. Yeah. The little the little Wendell yeah, Babam. Yeah. It's not a dig. He's not. He's he plays straight dice, everything like that. But he draws a lot of workshop Trinosphere, I have to say. Yeah, but he, you know, he's done things like take time out of his day, have a either what ended up being a three or four hour phone call to like teach me the basics of shops, not because I want to play the deck, but because I want to understand it. So because if I understand it, I know how to beat it. <laughs> it's it's one of the reasons why you know going back to legacy and bouncing when I was mentioning earlier how I bounced around the deck I settled on was miracles. I'm in Southern California, the only person to my knowledge who's played the deck longer than me is Joe Lissette. That was an aside, but it's like <laughs> I under my point is less that I'm a miracles player and more that when someone is learning the deck or someone wants to practice the deck from it's like, okay, I want to play this, please run the gauntlet. I know how to put the screws on that deck in ways that most people don't because I know where the choking points are. I know where the weaknesses are. I know what's relevant. In the mirror match, I remember on one of the few times I've streamed, because unfortunately my, my rig isn't really good enough to handle everything, when I was playing Miracles in a daily on Moto, and it was the mirror match, and my opponent like force of willed something, and he exiled counterbalance as his blue card. And I think I literally said on my stream, I'm like, you don't know what's going on here. You don't know what's important. Okay. <laughs> and I proceed, you know, very, too old the too old the mirror match, because, fun fun factoid, counterbalance is literally the only card that matters in that mirror match. Shot her. Some people still don't know that, though. So, despite how much Joe has said it, despite how much, you know, but they're, they're... How much that people play, like, the presence of Crows and Grip in a lot of sideboards is for counterbalance. Sure, but specifically for the mirror, though, you think, yeah. like, oh, top is important because it lets you sift through the deck. It's like, well, no, the games are going to go on long enough that top doesn't matter. The game isn't going to end on, like, turn five. The game's going to end on, like, turn 25. So you're going to draw into another top, and the five turns, ten turns of fixing that's, like, mitigated, it's not going to matter. Top is not a relevant card. The only time top is relevant is when it's completing the counterbalance lock. It's a common misconception. I don't know how, because Joe has spoken very loudly about this. It's still a very common misconception. So that's why I wanted to learn. So he's just taking time out of his day, and he's, he's he came to Magic recently, but he is just he's fantastic at the deck. He's he's in like the pantheon of shops players, along with like the Farinos, Will McGran, Will Dayton, Nick Deckweiler. He was like, was it 2005 that he won? He or? won in 2005. That was the last shops deck I think that won the champs. I think so. Yeah. I think he was. He's the last time that it won, or maybe the only time that it won. I, I, think, it's the, so, I think it might be the only time. I think it's the only time yeah. that it won, which is, for how much fear people have, how many sideboard slots people designate, it's kind of crazy that it kind of just can't finish the job. Yeah. It, it, it kind of feels like combo decks in top eight, they can destroy a field, they can top eight, but they never really win the tournament, which I, seems kind of weird. That's less combo to me. That's more like Delver and Mentor. One of the things that this is, I'm pretty sure I got it from Brian DeMars. But one of the things he said was that in order to win a large vintage event, you need to be proactive and powerful. And Delver and Mentor are not inherently... Mentor is actually more powerful than the Delver decks, but... Mentor's like half a combo deck, honestly. Kind of. But it's realistically... Their power is their consistency. They can't... You know, as my friend James Vogel has said on Twitter, it's like, you can't quote-unquote vintage people. He said this tweet where it's like, turn one Tinker for Blightseal, force for force, you got vintage, shuffle up, can't, don't be salty. It's something along those lines with, you know, 140 character limits, but... You can't vintage people. You can't do what happened, what Mark Toko did in whatever whatever the deciding game was. It was either game two or game three. I think they pushed it to three. Whatever. I but feel he, like they pushed it to three. But either way, it was like Orchard, Lotus, Oath, Time Walk. Like, you, Delver cannot do that. 
There's mentor cannot like they can land a turn two mentor and then just like or maybe like, can, turn one, can, like Lotus yeah. out a mentor and like make two tokens, but it's still uh, gonna take you three turns. And to like maybe up. time walk and then like you know and then like Lotus out a mentor plus like a land and a mox and a time walk and then like a gush into an ancestral into like you know but it's like just you can't, crazy you can't like perfect. Win. Yeah, no, you can't. You can't. Say win. You can't. So that to me is like combo decks can do that. It's part of the reason I consistently play combo is I can do that. Also because it's fun. But <laughs> <laughs> I definitely agree with that. But Roland won in 2005, like you said. He then won Legacy Champs in 2006. So he's the awesome. only Eternal Champion for a day. He's the only ever Eternal Champion. He then, I think his second Eternal Weekend back, which was 2014, he went undefeated in the Swiss and top eighted. Yep. I, uh, that quarterfinals, that was kind of rough to watch. I actually, I didn't, I have yet, I haven't really watched much of that event. Um, okay. I gotta be honest, because I was like on site and then it happened and I, then I, Cruz I, got hit. So yeah. it was like, at that point, it's like, well, I don't want to really watch, like, other than just for the sake of entertainment value, which is, you know, fine. But I can't learn anything by watching those replays. This is not a relevant format anymore. Yeah, so Roland, Brian Kelly, sure, he was heard in your interview. I can't say enough praises about I, him. I can't He's, say enough nice stuff about the guy. And I, I, do you agree, nicest guy to ever win Vintage Champs? Could I happen mean, to a nicer person? Couldn't happen to a nicer person, I agree with. I'm not going to say nicest guy to yeah, win uh, Champs. Let me, let me like, rephrase I don't, that, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know the everybody. only... The winners I personally know are Joel and Roland. They are also incredibly nice. Um, I don't know. I probably candidly can't even. I mean, I know. I know. I know Paul. I know. I've, I've interacted with Mark uh, Toko past weekend, but I haven't really met. I can't say I personally know all of the people who have won Vintage Champs. Uh, I'll so. rephrase that. Couldn't have happened to a nicer. Guy. Oh, absolutely. I'll, absolutely. I'll say it like that. I. I'll. I'll, I'll take my moments now. Gush. No pun intended. Because especially because he doesn't play the card to just. That deck that he won with, that deck was, I had known about, you know, Kelly Oath, I had known about Soldier's Oath, but, like, just watching him play the deck, I'm like, this is the best deck in the room. This is the best deck in the room. This is going to be the best deck in the room, realistically. Like, I, I said that I felt Felcher was the best deck in the room, and that is under the assumption that you run hot, you win your die rolls against shops. If you have to run a little hot to win a tournament, so it's like, why not play the deck that will reward you the most for, theoretically reward you the most for running hot? consistently in terms of a consistent deck that was very easily the best deck in the room it was it's only as a, he alluded to the only decks that oath really fears are fast blue combo because especially blue combo with disruption because what happens is at least the way i build my blue combo decks with counter spells because i feel like you need force of will against shops they try to stick the oath you resolve a flurry of counter spells and then either the Oath resolves, and they have to pass the turn, and then you untap and you kill them because they don't have counterspells. Or the Oath doesn't resolve, and they still don't have counterspells, so you untap and you kill them. Those decks are just naturally pushed out by shops, because that room was probably 20-25% shops. High percentage. High percentage, and even if for, it was For vintage, a high percentage, yeah. yeah. And even if it wasn't, like, the entire room, it's the decks, because of how good they were, just started shifting the top, so the top table's shops percentage was probably even higher than the whole room's shops percentage. The deck literally just, you pushed out, it's bad matchups were pushed out. So as long as you, like, didn't get daggered round one, and even if you got daggered round one, you could pick up a loss. You can't pick up two, because then you're dead, but you could pick up a loss. You're 50-50 against Dredge. You're favorite against Chops. You're favorite against every fair blue deck. You're favorite against, like, and that's what the room was. The room was Dredge, Chops, and fair blue decks. And you're favorite against the traditional Oath builds, which was... We didn't think it was going to be that much. The trial, there was a lot of it. But realistically, you're still favored against the traditional Oath decks. So it's... 
And it attacks from so many different angles. It's Cage doesn't work, and Cage is kind of like, you know, people were loading up on that for Dredge, and I think it was enough. But you attack, your threats are castable. The, the numbers are so refined. These, I think you alluded to it earlier, but like the double pyrite spell bomb, the single ancient grudge, the single repeal. These cards are not in there by accident. And I just, that that is when I knew, like when I first saw the list yeah. and I saw two pyrite spell bomb. There's, there's, there was no doubt in my mind that he knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah, it's not only, it's like these, these, you know, the three Gataxian probes, the no, and like I, the ability to talk with him about it too, it's like, yeah, these numbers look a little weird, but then because of becoming friends with him and talking to him, becoming teammates and working with him, just, his logic was just spot on. It's, that's the, the thing I don't know if most people appreciate. It's, his logic is flawless, and he can take that logic and just apply it to a normal and regular deck. Or he could just break the meta game, which is candidly <laughs> what he did. He broke the meta for that room, and people aren't going to realize it, because the deck is, especially because of how stretched the mana base is, how many, you know, how you only have one fetch line of each color, some of the odder, the more odd numbers, the deck is incredibly complex to play. This is, I've been playing Miracles for a long time, so I am more, the lines are more autopilot for me, so this is not as true of a statement, but I am more mentally exhausted by playing six games with this deck than six rounds of miracles. Every game I lose, I feel like it's my fault. I feel like it's like, I could have won this game at some point, and I I don't know where I messed it up, but I messed it up. He does all these lines that I just don't even see. Like, I watched him deck fade in, he, and then I was like, oh, discard those lands. But I forgot he had salvagers in play. So it wasn't a. It was like a spell bomb and a top. He just discards spell bomb and top and just regroup both. Of them. Yeah, and like, it's like I didn't even see that, and all the cards are on the table. Yeah, and like, it was just an automatic decision for him. He, he mentioned it in his tournament report, which is now live on BlackMagicGaming.com. I read that this should, morning. It was yeah, great. But yeah. the play that actually on the rails, I was just, oh my god, oh my, like the play that I believe won him his match in his semifinals against Paul Mastriano was. When he had his game two, when he had his Sphinx of the Steel wind out, he was down a game, so that's why this was so pivotal. He's got it. He's got his Sphinx out, and Paul metamorphs it, and he's like, "Okay, while the metamorph is on the stack, because you're clearly going to copy my Sphinx, I'm going to flash back my Ancient Grudge. I'm going to blow up your Arcbound Ravager. So I am. So that way, you cannot like sacrifice another artifact, like a random dead sphere, and put two counters on your Sphinx, and therefore win the race and make my Sphinx unable to trade with you." And I can't ancient grudge the copy of your Sphinx because it has program. And that was just such a I was just like, oh my god, I don't know how many people saw that. I don't I haven't watched the I've I've seen the match, but I haven't watched the like, you know, fully watched the commentary. It's kinda late at night. It didn't was, really didn't really make it very apparent that he was doing that on the stack, to be honest. Uh, like that that was just a such a subtly brilliant play that I believe won him the match because I don't think if he did not if he missed that play, he, I believe he would have lost that game. And he would have lost the match. And Paul, I believe, was favored against Grixis Thieves. I'm going to be... I, I don't mean... I cannot remember his name. I don't mean to knock the guy. I'm sure he was played very well. You don't make it to the finals of a, you know, basically 500-person event and not play well. But I don't understand how Grixis Thieves made it to the finals. That is not a deck I pegged as a good deck for the room. I... Mana Drain, in my mind, has been realistically unplayable since Bugfish was a deck. Congratulations to him. Kudos to him. Great run. I'm still shocked your deck made it there, and I think, and as soon as he beat Sullivan, every one of my friends on the rails were like, okay, the winner of Brian and Paul is going to win this tournament. 
Yeah, I I definitely like the deck. I, I watched this match. Basically, he he blew him out twice on just like really well timed Notion Thieves on a uh, Josh Rabbits. Joshua okay. Rabbits. He blew him out on first time was a Jace, second time was a Dak, and he just had two really well timed ones. Maybe he had good. I don't know. It's just it comes from such an angle that if people don't expect it, it destroys them. And I and I have a feeling that he probably was leveraged that throughout the day. Maybe it also he might be might have leveraged the fact that people were underprepared for Big Blue because Big Blue realistically is less threat dense and draws fewer cards than the Delver and the Mentor deck. So it's like that's why in my mind it's not those style of decks, like the manager and control decks are not playable anymore because you are less threat dense and draw fewer cards than the dominant blue decks of the format. Why am I playing a suboptimal version of this deck? You know, once again, good on him. I, I don't know what his matchups were for the day. I'm sure he played very well. I agree with what Brian said in his past interview with the Fate Ceiling and the Jace. That was very much a... I didn't see it, and when he brought... Like, I didn't... We didn't even talk about it beforehand, yeah. and when he was talking about it, I was just... I was, just, I was blown away. I couldn't... Like, the, the fact that he came to that conclusion after playing Magic... For this is the thirteenth round. Yeah. Having gotten up at four in the morning, it being midnight at that time, that he was like, "Oh, I understand exactly what he's doing." It's just right. And this is what I alluded to earlier about his intuition and his insight, the way he sees the game, and how he, because of his unique perspective and just his fundamental understanding of how things work, he's able to do things that most people don't would like write off, and do things at such a subtle and nuanced level. That like people, uh, Harishi, who also is on the team, and I talked about him earlier, which is why I didn't really go into him in my overview. And I apologize for that, Harishi, but you know, we, we did talk about you. So. We, we gave you a ton of props, so he's so, definitely happy. He said he ran into that deck a lot on Magic Online as soon as Brian won, and that deck is not something you can pick up. The reason I didn't pick up is because I realized in the two weeks I knew about the deck, I could not play that deck at the level I would need to, to win champs with. So I was like, yeah, this is probably the best deck in the room, but I'm not gonna, you know, and I recommended it to people who asked, like, when Joel was looking for a deck, he's like, what would you play? I'm like, I'd play Belcher, I'd play Brian Kelly's Elf deck. I had, I brought basically my entire collection, including a 660-count card long box of what I dubbed Eternal Playables, and Dragonlord Jamoka and Magus of the Moat were sitting in that box, and I could have built that deck if I wanted to. Like, I had, I had these, these 75 that won champs on me, on my person, well, in, in my hotel room. The deck is so subtle and so nuanced that people are going to play it, they're going to lose with it, because, candidly, it's not that they're not good enough, but they don't know the nuances and the subtleties of the deck well enough, and they're going to go, ah, you got lucky. And that's going to be the general consensus, and it really shouldn't be. The general consensus should be, Brian Kelly broke this format, and unless things change through a ban-restricted list update, through a Cons of Tarkir level like release of, just the, of a card coming out that is so warping that it creates a new archetype and it maybe shifts the balance of power. The deck is absurd. I can't say enough good things about it. I, I, the deck's absurd. Is that, is that all Team Degen? Or do you have anyone um, anyone left? Rich Shea is our concierge. Um, I, he's not officially associated with the team. He refuses to be officiated. He's, <laughs> like, he's, he's like, look, I don't want to be associated. I like having free reign. But, you know, he is... I, I trust him with all of my dark secrets. <laughs> um, we've also recently added, uh, I'm going to probably mispronounce his name terribly, and I apologize, especially because I had my name mis mispronounced last year, and I, my friends have all given me, oh, I, it's now become an inside joke with some of my friends, so. Tom, uh, Dalapez? Uh, Dalapez? Tom Dalapez? Um, uh, he's an East Coast Oath guy. 
It's also very nice. I've interacted with him a few times. He he won the side event in Vegas. At GP Vegas, he won that side event. Like, kind of fed an oath with Ingachurus in the board. And I'm sorry, Tom, if you hear this. I, if you hear this, that I terribly butchered your well, name. Uh, to make it even, yeah. how did they mispronounce your name? Okay, to make it even, uh, it was instead of Danny Batterman, it was Danny Baterman for a <laughs> while. And that's what Randy Bueller called me for until I tweeted him, like, look, thank you so much for all of, you know, for acknowledging me, but like Batterman, like Batter Skull. That's why I have the nickname. Is that what you changed the your Twitter picture to a Batter Skull? No, my Twitter picture has always been a Batter Skull. Okay. It's because when uh, New Phyrexia got leaked, I don't know the relative how long people have been playing so i'll go into the story new phyrexia was spoiled early there was something called a god book which had all the cards and it was given to the reigning world champion at the time guillaume matignon who wrote for a french magazine called lotus noir black literally black lotus because it was an in-print magazine he needed the preview. He needed he needed the preview because he wouldn't see print for another month he's best friends with guillaume, now hall of famer guillaume wafatapa and through a Series of events of Guillaume Matignon was so excited, he shared it with Wapa Tapa. Wapa Shapa shared it with, he was so excited, shared it with another friend. The other friend might not have been as trustworthy as the two Guillaumes and shared it with a fourth guy. The fourth guy bragged about it on the internet. The internet went, picks or it didn't happen. The fourth guy went, yeah, okay, here are the picks. And the internet went, thanks. And the guy's like, no, 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 you can't show it to anyone. And it's like, really, dude? Come on. It's like, it was an IRC channel, too, so it was like total anonymity and just... And so the set was leaked before previews happened. Like, full, fully leaked. And it resulted in some fallout of all four of them getting banned for a while, just for, you know, as a... It's, it's a big thing. Do. Like, yeah. it, it creates the market. They basically... it. I, I understand why it happened. Yeah, I'm it, sure they yeah. understand. That it, they it, happened, it happened in 2000, like, 2012. Yeah, 2012. Yeah. Like, 2000... No, 2011, I think. But it's... it's that That's the backstory. I, that, that, conver- that has been discussed to death when it has happened. <laughs> this is not a morality or a did they deserve their ban podcast that's just background information for those who didn't know but batter skull got spoiled jen who i mentioned earlier was like oh it's you because your last name is batterman you have a thick skull <laughs> and the name stuck and realistically that's a better nickname than say princess buttercup <laughs> which is a nickname of uh east coast judge and pro tour top eight competitor rob castellan uh there's a story behind it i won't get into it <laughs> So in the grand scheme of things, I will take it. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it, and that's we we could call it your invitational card. It is my I've I've made that joke. I've I've made that joke with people, and they were like, you know, what, how would you design your invitational card? And I just list off the text of Batter Skull, and they're like, oh man, that's really innovative. Like when I especially when I said Living Weapon, they're like, oh Living Weapon, that's really cool. I never would have thought of doing that. And then it kind of sits there for a minute. And they're like, wait, that's just better. You. <laughs> and I just kind of you know give this you know. Hit of the spread, and I'm like, <laughs> and then we just picked up Mike Danielson, who's another Detroit player. Uh, for those of you who follow Twitch, it's Overvoltage on Twitch. Another great guy. He he made he lost his winning in for Legacy Champs, playing Omniscience with Word of Command in the sideboard. <laughs> and if people don't know Word of Command, is please look it up. It has the worst art but the coolest effect. Yeah, it's it's basically you can cast a spell from their hand and it's it, a mini mind slaver. Yeah, it's a mini slaver. He then went like six three and one with what he was calling blue red dumpster fire, which was this in vintage, which is this blue red burn deck with like Eidolon of the Great Rebel and like main deck Vishno Heretics, I think, and like so and like he was looking for rune flare traps, which he wasn't able to find because of his wheel of fortunes and like time twisters, so he rune flare trap get you like gush. And it you know, it clearly worked. <laughs> 
So, very very nice guy. Very did he play it unpowered? Or did he no, go... powered. Okay. You no, know, he went all the way. This was not, I'm going to play this jank deck and get a powered prize. It's, I have borrowing power, and I'm still taking this deck. He literally called it, like, he literally called it, like, dumpster fire burn. I don't, I don't mean this is not, it's what he wrote on his deck list. <laughs> a couple deck lists were and pretty funny he's, from that. He still went 6-3. 6-3-1. So, very, obviously, very talented player. We've interacted on, you know, very knowledgeable about Eternal formats. We've interacted a lot online, and he was actually added, Ben, was like, look, I would really appreciate if you added Mike. He's a local guy. I trust him a lot. He's really, you know, he's a great guy. I know he's a great guy. And just having someone locally that I, I appreciate his insight, so to be able to fully share it with him, I would really appreciate that. And, you know, and I thought about it, and I was like, yeah, no, what, he, he is a great guy, and with the goal of helping my friends, he is a friend. So I haven't worked with him much yet, but he's going to be, I know he's going to be. That's everyone. That's everyone? That pretty, yeah, that's everyone. That, that's everyone. That, that's that a much more detailed overview than when you got before. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I, no, it's, it's, it's a really talented group of guys, and I, this is not like, you know, it's, oh, it's my team, so I'm going to, it's, I'm just honored and humbled that I get the chance to work with them, and that I feel like the fact that there's this brain trust out there that might not be well known as, like, you know, I don't know what they go by now, but Team Mean Deck. Just the fact that there is this brain trust out there, and they not, you know, they they definitely have their own groups, and they've been with those groups longer, so I understand why they would, you know, not think of this as their primary group, but I just, I'm honored to work with them, and I'm honored to call them friends, I'm honored to call them teammates. Even Rich, who's not officially a teammate, I'm honored to work with him, I'm honored to call him a friend. I think it's just a very, hopefully, very positive force. He's, a, he's an adjunct yeah. team member. Yeah. It's, no, it's concierge. <laughs> it's the best way to describe it. And it's, I think it's going to be a very positive force for the game and for the format, and I hope that we're going to do some great things. <laughs> I definitely expect a lot of more yeah. great stuff. So, speaking of great stuff, the reason why I messaged you to have this interview, your deck, your creation, yep. I love the name, Yep. the People's Canon. Ben Perry, uh, that is he, is, he is a drunken vigilante uh, shooting villains and fiends with a cannon. That's what he calls the deck in Legacy. I am, I am just a disciple. I'm a disciple of the canon. It's, it is not my name. That is his name. It's, it's, it, is, it is a deck for the people. <laughs> so, the main deck you said you've had since April. I actually came up with the deck. I actually, the main deck itself I've had since April, but going back, I've, had, I've been sitting on the deck since like 2012, which I said at Champs, but it was a Demar's article. He, he referenced the deck. It was called like Neo Academy. He referenced it, and there was a list in the article, but I didn't look at the list, because I saw it describe it, and I was like, as a deck-building exercise, as a fun deck-building exercise, and he mentioned Time Spiral and Academy, and I was already doing that in Angel City Vault, so I was like, okay, there's now a deck based around Time Spiral Academy. I love it. I gotta... So as a deck-building exercise, and as a how close can I get here, I made the deck on my own, and I was pretty close. You know, I actually, I had the maps, I had... I think, like, the cards I didn't personally have from the list that was featured in DeMars's article was he had a full, he had three Voltaic Keys initially. I was, like, at two. He had a cunning wish, a singleton cunning wish in the main to have, like, a cunning wish for it to get things like Stroke of Genius with all of your mana, to get things like Teferi's Response if they messed with your academy. I love Teferi's Response. Um, it's actually ironic that the list I first saw started with a wish and now has ended with a wish, but let's... It was a full-on wish board, and I didn't have that because I actually... Ironically enough, I'm not a huge fan of wishboards, because I like actually having a sideboard for stuff. I don't like having, like, a six-card sideboard. I like having, like, you know... Like I mean, yeah, I mean, I was at 12. Uh, realistically, theoretically, you could be at 13 if you wanted to bring in the workshop. 
but yeah, like twelve is twelve is not unreasonable, but like six, five, like that. That's a bit much. That's 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 a bit too long. So I just I sat on it because it was it was a blast to play, but I'm like this deck can never beat workshops. Like this deck, this deck can never beat workshops. And then I've just been sitting on it, you know. And I always thought it was reasonable. And you know, I, I played it on you know on on various online clients a few times. 2013, 2014, at Champs, I ran into Randy Bueller, and he and I had crossed paths previously just, you know, because if you, you, you have enough professional friends, professional players who are your friends, and then when you hang out with them, you, it's, it's, it's a small circle, you'll eventually run into each other. And so he and I had crossed paths previously. So I mentioned, I was like, hey, you know, and especially because at the Grand Prix in Los Angeles that I had judged two weeks ago, I went up to him and we had interacted before, but I was like, I'm the guy who made, like, Menendian's deck. Because Menendian, Dave Williams, and Ephra were all playing Angel City Vault in the VSL for that. This was like, I hadn't added the dig through times that I eventually added to that deck, because candidly, my, at where I was with that deck was, I'm not going to change a card from this list until my team, because we're a cross-coastal team, so Ari, Joel, Ben, Kevin, and I were in a room together for the first time to talk about it. I wasn't changing a card. Then I kind of had to change cards, because Delph spells. But <laughs> So he knew me from that interaction, and I went up to him and was like, Say, you're playing in the VSL. Here's, he's like, you don't have a lot of workshops in your metagame. Here's this list. <laughs> and the thing that initially sold him was Pact Negation. And so I sent him the list with, like, the time spirals, with, you know, still had the four time spirals, with the Pact Negations. You know, very rough, you know, very, you know, kind of the list I'd been sitting on since, like, 2012, 2013. He played it at, he, he goldfished it, he thought it was fun. He played it at, like, the Moto Vintage Festival and lost in the finals to LSV. Not a bad, yeah. You accept it. You, yeah, you do. <laughs> and then he started working on the list, and he, from how he tells it, he set it aside until Chris Pakula came up with diminishing returns. Which, realistically, he's, he's talked about it a little bit, but he's right. There aren't really individual cards you care about in that deck. You're not a deck, you're not a combo deck based on restricted cards. It's... Black Lotus helps. It always, I always kind of internally wince whenever I see the Black Lotus exiled. But other than it that, might have been on the bottom of the deck. Sure. Yeah. But other than that, like it's not. You're not relying on a single restricted card. You're relying on a bunch of unrestricted cards. So it's fine to remove them. And realistically, it's actually better than a normal draw seven because you're removing a lot of air. You've got some air in play. You remove. You know, at that point, the first diminishing returns. You're removing a lot of air, and then you're just drawing pure high octane gasoline. It's like oh, I'm gonna kill you. And so I was like, okay, this deck is now doing well. Like, I've been given credit for giving him the list. I, I have fully acknowledged the fact, and publicly, because as a deck builder, I would never fully take credit for another person's deck. I feel that's wrong. It's like, look, a lot of people had this list. Like, a lot of people were working on it simultaneously. I was just the one who gave it to the person who had a spotlight. So it was kind of credited to me. But it's like, okay, so now this, like, let's start working on this. Let's, because it's blue combo. I didn't want to run back Angel City Vault. And I was like, realistically, this deck's fine. But the biggest problem, as I mentioned, was the deck only had 12 ways to get from zero mana to one mana. And that is way too few. That's like, I, I ran the math. That's like, I think an 80% chance, maybe like an 82% chance of having a starter mana in your opening hand. So that's like one in five hands you have to play. Charbelcher as a combo deck is just very resource reliant, especially because you have to pitch cards with Chrome Mock, various things along those lines. You like not all of your artifact mana untaps. So mulliganing is just painful. I know in Legacy with Red Green Charbelcher, you're never supposed to go below five. Even if you have your hand full of mana, you just because you need you just... I actually played that deck. Yeah. The the red green Charbelcher deck. I have a lot of fun with it. I have fun goldfishing it. 
And I do have to say that you have to take a lot of risks with some of your hands. Yeah. Like I, it, it, a lot of times it's safe to just keep an old man of hands because you have 11 business yeah. cards, so 11 things you yeah. can draw. If seven doesn't have it, nine probably has it. And against certain decks, you can. And I did yeah. actually play that the first day of the uh, Grand Prix. And I beat a forcible deck and lost to two more and then beat two combo decks because I was faster than them. But the deck's a blast. Yeah. No really one intended. Ha- <laughs> <laughs> well, blast applies goes everywhere. Yeah. Like, yeah. cannon is, is yeah. direct. It's fair, it's fair. I had a cannon of a good time. Yeah. And and it, it, I definitely could see the amount of work with it. Yeah. And it, it, when, when you goldfish it or when you play it, I had, like, actually playing it, you go through these crazy lines. Like, I changed the sideboard a bit because through just goldfishing, I, I realized that I could put a tendrils in the sideboard. Through lines of diamond stuff, you can yep. get that turn one kill. I actually put a cave-in in the sideboard, yep. the the remover red card, and I actually killed my opponent two red. with it. Two red. What's that? Cave-in? The pyroclasm from Mercadian Mass? Yeah, yeah. You can it's, two, it's two red. Two red card. Oh, no, it is all red. one red. You're right, you're right. Yeah, you're yeah. right, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. You're thinking of Cold Snap. That I has think, double yeah, exile. Yeah, I am, That's yes. Fury of the yeah. Lord. Yeah, yes. I knew it was the same cycle as Misdirection. Yes. Yeah. So you exile one red card and you do it, and it actually deals damage to players. I was able to finish off my opponent with it. Ha! Which I, and I also had an Ignite Memories in there okay. against the Show and Tell deck. Yeah, that seems great. <laughs> but I found that it's not reliable enough, and I turned into a Goblin War Strike. Yep. But yeah, but like like just playing those decks, I can you can really see when there's a lot of work done in it. And it, you're right, it's yeah. 21 starts. Yeah, yeah, 21, 21 starts. 21. So you can keep a lot of hands. Yeah, and so my goals for that match for for it's like I'm if I play this deck in Vintage Champs, the deck needs to number one not lose to itself, and number two not be unreasonable against workshops. And I felt like number one would feed into number two. I realized that workshops on the draw, candidly, was never going to get fixed. That was something that it's just like, you can't have any fear when you're playing a Tri-Vulture deck. And so that's just something you have to accept. That this is just going to be a bad matchup, is what it is. But the deck losing to itself, I need to fix. And realistically, the only options were Spirit Guides. And this is a lot of what I've said already, but I'm still going to rehash it. Yeah. Spirit Guides, which are fine, but, you know, they're, they're short first and they're not blue. Or Land Grant for Tropical Island, which had been talked about. I thought of it, Guy Pomegranate on Twitch and Twitter, Ben, I cannot remember his last name, especially because he doesn't have his real name on Twitter at the moment, <laughs> so I really can't remember his last name, had done it, but I didn't want the second land in the deck, because, as I mentioned, the play of turn one Charbelcher, pack negation your thing, untap, pack trigger on the stack, I'm, I can't pay for it, but I'm killing you, I'm shooting you in the face with a cannon, I'm going to kill you, and yeah, I could theoretically miss, but that's very not likely with one land. With two lands... Two lands, and none of them being mountains, so the damage just doesn't double. It's pretty likely that you're going to miss, and you're going to die to your pack trigger. And at that point, you take an average of, like, probably a turn off the deck. So you're as fast as TPS, but you're less consistent TPS. Why? Why? Or, TPS is just Storm, Grimlong, whatever you want to call it. Why, why am I playing a more inconsistent version of a deck that not only already exists, but actually theoretically can be workshop on the draw through, like, you know, playing out just a bunch of lands and ancient tombs and Hercules recalling. And then it was out Rich I was mentioning that to Rich, just like I want to play Land Grant, but I can't I can't cut the Academy. Well, I don't know what to do. And Rich, who actually I think Brian Kelly. He got it from Brian Kelly, who is working on a Living Wish Land Grant like shell, but not Charbelcher. He just was doing his own concoctions. Because <laughs> he's like, Yeah, I want a Delver deck that can consistently hit its second land, because the amount of times you have to like keep one land period in hand and you miss on the second land, you just die on the spot. Like I want land grants and like that kind of thing. And I can't remember where Living Wish. But Rich was like, "Why not Living Wish?" And I was like, 
Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Go ballist that night. Mentioned goldfish it. Screamed, screaming how I broke it. Girlfriend admonishing me for waking her up at 3 in the morning. At that point, it was just figuring out the sideboard. And figuring out what the most effective way to beat Chops was. And what the most effective way to beat Blue was. And not caring about Dredge, because you're faster. You just... Dredge uh, yeah. is a joke. It's... We'll get into this later. I ended up kind of eating my own words, because I lost... One of my losses was to Dredge in the event. But that was... that That is magic. Statistically speaking, Dredge is a joke. So here's a question. Whenever people play niche cards, I always like to say this. How many people had to read your living wish? Uh, none. Really? None. I don't believe I. I don't believe I had a reader on living wish. I. I had L- land grant. I had a couple of people read, but not living wish. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, I didn't have anyone counter it. And as Randy said on coverage in my feature match, despite the fact that I showed him the deck because I I told him about it at Grand Prix Vegas, but it was like in passing. Because he still had to do coverage for top eight. He was just stepping outside for five minutes to get a drink of water. So I couldn't, like, tell him the full deck. Because I couldn't make him swear that he wasn't going to say anything. And he even said on camera, yeah, I probably played it. That was, that was a good <laughs> idea. So I was like, I'm going to make up for this, like, savage slow roll. And I showed it to him. And I showed him the Forge Master. And I told him, but I don't think it clicked until I did it on camera. And he's like, oh my god. It's, it's a threat. It's, it's the way to get your academy doesn't get misstepped, which... Initially, when I first started playing the deck, before Randy took it and put it on a, a spotlight, put it in a spotlight, in a spotlight, not on a spotlight, people would just let maps resolve. They're like, yeah, what are you going to do with this? And then the Charbelcher deck became known, and it's like, oh, Mental messed up your map. <laughs> it's like, great. It's like, now my deck doesn't work. So the cards that get you, Land Grant cannot be misstepped. Living Wish cannot be misstepped. And for whatever reason, they're just people are hesitant to trade Force of Wills with those cards because they're like, I need these Force of Wills to stop the Charbelcher because the blue decks are so ingrained, you know, inbred. It's just so ingrained that it's like, I need to save my hard counter for their threat. And the sideboard I knew was going to have the Academy, the Shop, and the four Ley Lines. And then, every, and then I knew I wanted a threat was first Mistcutter Hydra because it was giant and uncounterable. And it's like, well, if I have a lot of mana, I mean, I might as well just, like, you know, play this giant thing that rewards me for having a lot of mana. But... How long did that last? Ah, a week. <laughs> then I thought, then I was like flipping through my shop stuff, and I saw Forge Master. I'm like, wait a minute. Like that one, I think was me. I might, I might be misremembering that, but I think that that was like a week, and then it was like, oh wait, no, Forge Master. It's just, I'm just gonna have four Charbelchers in my side. It's, it's five mana to spend one to win the game. It's Tezzer the Seeker for Time Vault, which is, you know, the joke is that card is five mana to spend one to win the game because you get the Time Vault, and then you untap. That's what the card is. Uh, it's also really fun against workshops when you have the ley line in pl- or combo mirrors. You have the ley line in place. You flash in the Forge Master end of turn, and then you untap. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that's that. Well, you mentioned before. Yeah. I thought that was the most interesting thing about it was that you only have three wish targets. Yep. So did that ever get larger? Did you ever be like, maybe I need more wish I targets? I had a Zantid Swarm in there at one point, just as a disruptive. Because one of the things Ari mentioned while goldfishing the deck was, I wish I had a disruptive thing to wish for. And initially, we're, and I was also considering Trigon Predator, because, like, it's just, you wish for it, and it's just great against shops. It's like, I'm a big mana deck, and I, like, play this Trigon Predator on turn one, now I'm gonna pass the turn, and, like, please beat this Trigon Predator. Especially because a lot of people are cutting down on Metamorphs, it's like, please beat this. You can't. Yeah. Um, but if I had them in the sideboard, it was all, it wasn't gonna be, like, for Trigon, it wasn't gonna be a bullet. It was gonna be, like, this is a useful card, and I'm gonna bring in some number, and I'm gonna leave one in the board. 
Uh, Ari just said he wanted a disruptive creature, and I went with Xanthan Swarm because the others we thought of, Vexing Shusher and Dosan the Falling Leaf, all had double green in their cost, and we figured we couldn't swing double green consistently in the deck. That's where City came from? Yeah, that's, I mean, City came from just it being its own thing, but, like, he mentioned Vexing Shusher and Dosan first, and I'm like, double green, double green. And then City came in, like, a couple hours later, because that was a dinner conversation, and this was a, like, late-night conversation. But... I initially had, like, a bunch of Hercules recalls for shops. Those changed to Steel Sabotage, because I did a bunch of games with just post-board shops on the draw, and I realized because you had to so mulligan so aggressively, you just, you needed to be able to trade cards one for one, and Steel Sab fought them on the stack, and fought them, and just got rid of all of their threats. And realistically, if, you know, the deck took off, not through this version, but just in general, it's not unreasonable against, like, other decks with, like, Null Rod, or things like that. And then Nature's Claim was in there as an ounce of, like, Null Rod, Stony Silence, Oath, Leyline of Sanctity, and it was just something that you could cast off Elder Spirit Guide, which is the reason why I had it 2-2, is because if they did Null Rod you, you have more sources of green in your deck than you do blue in your deck. Because at that point, your only blue source becomes the Trop. Yeah. And the green sources are the Trop and the two Spirit Guides. Um, that definitely makes sense. I actually kind of wanted a third Spirit... Like, one of the cards I've toyed with was a third Spirit Guide in the main. Not for that, but just to have another relevant card against Shops on the draw. Because the thing that matters is the first turn. If you can fade the first... If you can fade double Lock Piece, because you're dead to Chalice Sphere. Like, you're not... Unless you have a Leyline. If you have a Leyline, you can... You can... You're okay. But... If you can actually get your mana situated, if you can get your mana into play, it's why Shops on the Play is actually favored, is it's like, okay, I'm going to play, like, four mana on turn one, and then you're going to play a sphere that makes my, you know, you're going to make my things cost, like, one more, and then I'm going to play my academy, you're going to play something that makes, like, three more mana, and you play another sphere. So, yeah, my things cost two more, but I'm tapping for seven. Like, okay, I can tap for seven mana. You, you have given me the ability. Like, I am just through my stuff. I can tap for seven mana. And that's why Chalice is so backbreaking, because it's really one of the few ways they can double lock piece. And it's really the biggest thing that makes them, you know, makes the turn being on the draw so punishing, because if they go Chalice Sphere, you're dead. If they just go Sphere, you can go like, okay, I'm going to play a land, I'm going to play a Mox, I'm going to play another Mox. Then you're going to, like, you know, then they're going to play another Sphere, but that's like, okay, I'm going to play my second land, and now I've got four mana. So I can play all my one drops, I can still play my zero drops, I can play my two drops, it'll cost me my turn, but like I have some I have some relief. And then the chalice is like, no, you don't get any of that. So that's why I want that card at one. <laughs> and then the other big part too is that Lodestone Golem isn't really a lock piece against you because you stop no, artifact base. Like it's it's a clock. Out. It's a clock, which is scary. But it's not Yeah. I've seen that happen before, it's funny, like against a storm player or a combo player, they play Lodestone and it's just here's all my moxes. Can't really do much against it. One of the reasons Angel City Vault was okay against Shops because it was artifact based. It was like Vault Key's artifact based. It's, it's it's the it's less the sphere for this kind of deck. Lodestone is scary less because of the sphere and more because of the you're on a four turn clock to not be able to necessarily draw out of all the other spheres that I have to play. And you go more in depth on a lot of card choice. I just want to yep. touch on what you didn't really go over in your article. Yeah. yeah, for personal stuff. So I guess from there, we can go your tournament. Yeah. How'd your tournament go? So on paper, I went 5-5. Five and five. In practice, I went 6-4. Flew in. I definitely, unfortunately, did not get... I did not play in Legacy Champs because last year, I was recovering from having mono over the summer. So I 
didn't feel like I could successfully do two high-level tournaments back-to-back, and I only, realistically, I'm there for vintage. And what happened last year because of that is because Kevin was there and in my room and with Tom and talking to people, I got so much work done in. It's like, I'm just going to repeat this. This is like, I'm going to repeat this. Kevin, unfortunately, couldn't fly out, so I didn't get as much on-site testing as I would like. There are various snafus, like I was tapped to do a deck tech, but then there was, like, something with, like, the Philadelphia, like, stage union didn't, like, cause the hassle. That's why coverage was delayed. It's like, no, you have to, like, use our guys to record stuff. And that, it got settled. But that is the reason why Legacy coverage started late on Saturday. And since they only had one set of cameras, I didn't get filmed. So, like, I was already on site at that point. So, it's like, I'm going to hang with friends. Just, you know, various, very much kind of, like, man plans, God laughs status. Yeah. For that weekend. But I still felt confident enough in the deck. I showed up. Uh, round one was a buy <laughs> because my opponent was in the top eight of Legacy Champs. And <laughs> I was just like, the judge initially told me that I was going to have to play it out. Like, I was going to get repaired. And I was just kind of like, no. I, I initially was kind of like, I want my, it was just like, it is what it is. But like, realistically, the logistics of that is to repair that many people is a giant pain. And so, they're just like, no, you get buys. I was foolish and didn't get breakfast. I should have gotten breakfast. <laughs> but round two was against Dredge. It was, he fi- he's actually, he was, he was a very good Dredge player. He finished in the top, I think he finished 20th. Um, I actually ended up, I didn't, he didn't tell me until game, between games one and two, but I played him round nine at the end of champs last year. He was also on Dredge then. And he knew I was on combo, so he was like, didn't want to play me. And it was one of these things, too, because I'm very bad with names. Like I mentioned, I can't recite this guy's name back to you. But I was like, I felt like I heard his name before. Really good with faces. I, I know you, and I get to, I'll get your name right, but it takes me a while. Faces I get, but I remembered his name. So we sit down, shuffle up. He goes, turn one, bizarre. I go, turn one, living wish for, like, artifact, 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 artifact. Living Wish, Academy for four, Extra Chrome Mox for five, Tezzeret, Lion's Eye Diamond, Chuchu the Mist. <laughs> like just, oh, and a land grant in my hand to get the Trump Island out of my deck to make sure I don't miss after I played my Academy. Literally all eight of my cards, turn one kill. Only actual turn one on the day. <laughs> Game two, he, he mulliganed, he led with Undiscovered Paradise. I looked at my hand, and I'm like, I can turn one Forge Master here. Like, that's the kind of hand where it's like, that's why Forge Master's in the deck. It's if you're flooded, it's you have a living wish. It's like, well, this is now business. He probably has a Nature's Claim or an Ingot Chewer, but I'm Charbelcher. I have to make him have it. I can't just hold it. So I was like, okay, Living Wish, Lines Eye Diamond, Retain Priority. Char- I might have been Lotus Game 1. I don't know. It was one of the two. But Forge Master, go. He's like, and step Nature's Claim. I'm like, yep. And he goes, okay, do some stuff. You know, do some stuff. Be, be dr- play, play my Bizarre Go. And I'm like, you know, I'm now Hellbent. Oh, top deck dimension returns. <laughs> and I have to pass the turn. And then he, like, triple cabal therapies me, and he hits on his blind hit of Living Wish, and he hit two of them. And I'm just like, jeez, brutal. So my hand's ripped apart. Top deck, another dimension returns. Then it was like, the Forge Master has now been shuffled back into my deck, so I present another Forge Master, and he, like, blows it up. And just, he eventually grinds me out and gets there. And then game three, I'm like, turn one, like, he goes to four. So I'm like, all right, turn one, like, you know, Manavolt, Soul Ring, go, or whatever. And then I'm like, turn two, Charbelcher, and then kill him. He's, just, he's dead. With, like, with force, with either force or pack backup, and I just, I kill him. That was my round two. Round three was against Matt Costa, who was yeah, on. I heard about this. Uh, the, he, he killed you on your packs. He did, he did. That was game three. Game one, he, like, was turn one for your day. 
and I was like, probe, and I see the only thing you have is mental misstep. And so I'm like, okay, mox, 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 tinker for Charbelcher, go. And at that point, the only, I, my hand is mana vault, chrome mox, chrome mox. So I don't have the three mana next turn. And he, like, does some sifting, and he cabal therapies my chrome moxes, and he passes the turn. He was like, preordain, cabal therapy, like, you know, something. And I was like, sitting there, and I'm like, I need to draw a mana source this turn. Because if I don't, you're going to Dakbane me, you're going to take my Belcher, and I'm going to lose. And I didn't know he had the Dakbane. I didn't probe him and see he had the Dakbane. It was just this gut feeling of, this is my window. In a perfect world, it would have been just the tropical off the top, so it's the uncounterable third source, and the land is out of my deck. But any, like, mana... And I had green, because I had an opal, so it was like any, like, living wish, land grant, whatever, just mana. And I drew, and it was soul ring. And I'm like, crap. Oh, man. And then I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. This is fine. This is fine. I have two moxin. I'll play the soul ring, which sucks, because it gives him perfect information. And it's Matt Costa with perfect information. That's not good. But I'm going to play the soul ring. I'll have a moxin soul ring. That's three. It'll eat, the, it'll eat the misstep. And then I'll play the mana vault. That's three. And he has double misstep. And then he untaps, he dakbaitens, he steals my belcher, I just die. <laughs> uh, game two is very long and grindy. I eventually stick a City of Solitude. And I eventually find a belcher and kill him. I, in the middle of the City of Solitudes, I misplayed three times, I think. Well, one was I had City of Solitude Tez in my hand. And I wanted to wait and play them on one turn. So I could just, like, basically bait a force. Because I didn't think the city would resolve. And then just play the Tezzeret and give him as small of a window as possible to not pulverize me out of the game. I should have just run the city past the turn and then tesseretted it and then shot him there because that's it's still two turns. And it's, yeah, if the city doesn't resolve, like, if the, if the city gets countered, then I play the tesseret and hope he doesn't draw the force, but if it actually sticks, then... So that was, I messed up that one, and then I saw both my tesserets that game, and I plussed both times. And the reason I plussed is because I was like, okay, you've got four Ingot Chewers, two Pulverizes, and two Dakbaitens versus two Pyroblasts. So I was like, statistically, like, okay, this is fewer times. He had double Pyroblasts to deal with both. And I talked to them after. I was like, did you see any of his plays? He went, well, you threw away game two twice. I'm like, oh, the Tezzeret? He goes, yeah. In hindsight, yes. Especially the second Tezzeret where Snapcaster Mage for Pyroblast becomes live. But that was, in my head, that was an odds thing. Um, I definitely, you know, I'm not going to argue with Matt Costa. <laughs> on, he said, no, you misplayed here. And I went, okay. Yeah, and then game three, I because the game game two went on so long and he strip-mined my academy, I forgot to take it out and put it <laughs> on my sideboard. And yeah. So I drew it in my opening hand game one, and I'm like, oh, I diminishing returns here. I was, oh, this lets me turn one diminishing returns, which is the one downside to this build is you just can't have the natural academy draw, but the, the extra consistency is So I turn one diminishing returns, I packed his force. He then, i like, okay, I have to fade strip-mine and pulverize, and he plays another land. I'm like, yes, no strip-mine. And he, like, Demonic Tutors, and I have Force Blue Card Pact in my hand, but I can't pay my second Pact. And he Demonic Tutors, I'm like, yeah, the Tutor's fine. You should force the Tutor, theoretically, but I figured he was going to get pulled. He was either he either had the Counterspell already, or he was, and I was dead, or he was just going to get pulverized and I was dead. So I just I let the Tutor resolve, because I figured he was getting pulverized, and he actually just shows me Force of Well. Because he's, that was like his, that was his third round of ever playing Vintage, and he's never not really experienced with Demonic Tutor, so he forgot you didn't have to reveal. Oh, okay. And yeah. so he had the Pulverize in hand, he showed me the Pulverize. I didn't make him show me the blue card for the Force, which I should have done. Mm -hmm. he, he said he had it, and LSV was sitting next to him, and he said he had it. And, okay. But yeah, I Pulverized and couldn't pay for my Pact. Uh, round four was on camera. Round four was on camera, so yeah. the only... So I would definitely watch it. It was a great match. The one thing I want to say about it is that you had a Judge promo, Mana, mana Crypt, yeah. sitting next to a Commander Soul Ring. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the, the Judge promo, the Judge promo Mana Crypt, 
was my first Grand Prix I ever judged was Grand Prix San Diego in 2011. You referenced it last time. I think you missed the year. It was the Innistrad sealed one. I played in that. Yeah. So we've, run in, um, we've run into each other more than we've thought, which is kind of yes. cool. The packet at that time was two Mana Crypts. At that point, not only is it just a souvenir for the first Grand Prix I judged, but it is... So it's sentimental in that regard. So I'm obviously not selling it. And then I'm not dropping another $150 to $200 on a normal Mana Crypt. Because I am, despite the fact that I am fully powered, which a lot of it was through judges and various winnings and cards, I am a student still. I don't have that kind of capital. <laughs> and if I do, it's like, so that's what that is. The Soul Ring is, it's black-bordered. It's, it is cheap, and it is black-bordered. And I have a, like, a revised one or whatever, or fourth-ed one or whatever you want to call it, but it's it's not, it's white-bordered. And, yeah, I got white-bordered power, and my mana vault's white-bordered, but this is cheap and black-bordered. I'm, I'm going. It's a little rib. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a rib. I definitely I know. Was, it's, was... it's funny to see, because nobody mentioned it, but I looked at it, and I was like, because I think that was the only Commander Soul Ring I saw throughout the, the whole day. The, I was definitely, because Gathering Magic was, like, filming stuff. And I was B-roll. My match against Matt Costa was B-roll because it was Matt Costa and I and then LSB right next to Matt Costa that round. So they were filming them. And we were at the edge of the table. So you could very clearly see me and my board. It was posted on my wall as, like, just for posterity's sake. It's like, I thought you'd want to have this. Uh, and then by actually my teammate Mike. And then someone's like, that Commander Soul Ring. And then there's like, <laughs> hashtag get Danny a Soul Ring. <laughs> so I've, I've been ribbed about it, but it's a Black Border Soul Ring. It is a, like, it was a... Four dollar, essentially. I mean, I bought the Commander decks because I wanted like Bluster Storm, but like it was, it's a cheap Black Border Storm. Yeah, that's that's fair. Okay, so we can bypass um, that. We would allow. So yeah. round five. Round five is what I tentatively am calling, and I, I mentioned this to him. It was a uh, Delve Still. It was like Grixis Land Still with like Tassigers and like Culligan's Command and like Thought Scours and like Dig and Cruise and like you know things like that. And like I didn't know what I was playing against. Game one, I just punt horrifically, and I don't imprint something on my Chromox, because I'm like, I need this mana. But because of that, I actually can't cast my Living Wish for my Academy. <laughs> and I just basically die without casting a spell deck for the rest of the game, and it was just this horrific punt. Uh, game two, I make kind of a similar punt, where I don't imprint something on a Chromox, and I actually even said, I was like, oh, it's right this time, because I wanted to resolve a Diminishing Returns, it was like, resolve a draw seven, and have a blue card for Force of Will, but I had an extra blue card that I just kind of spaced on. <laughs> so it was still wrong. <laughs> and at that point, and I won that game. And at that point, I'm like, okay. So actually, I, I called for a judge. I was like, do you mind if I go outside, get some fresh air, and get some water? Just get my head together. Because I'm clearly messing up. I was nervous. I didn't want to get knocked out. I, you know, Especially after getting featured, I wanted to make a deep run. Because the deck is now known... And as a deck builder, I wanted I wanted the deck to be taken seriously because it's a very good deck. I know it's high variance, but it's a very good deck, and I wanted to do it justice. And so I stepped outside, got some air, got some water, came back, played game three as far as I could tell. As you know, I don't I didn't see any mistakes I made. I eventually won with Vault Key. The only one of the few times I've actually won with Vault Key through this deck in this build. Which is funny, because that's all I was doing last year. Um, <laughs> and it was with the City of Solitude out, and he had a handful of counters, and the turn before I killed him was a Null Rod on top. There was a Null Rod sitting on top of his deck. That was his next card before I Vault Key. And it was, I was so not used to the Vault Key line. It was, I got it through a Tinker. 
And I was like, well, I have to get six mana to take her for Belcher. I have to get six mana to take her. I was like, wait, hold on, I have a key in play. Time up. <laughs> um, round six was against the blue-red answer deck out of Spain. The, the Blood Moon deck? Blood Moon Chalice of the Void deck, which he also finished in the top 32. Um, and I kind of like, I said on camera, I mentioned what I thought my bad matchups were, and that was something that I kind of forgot about. And I was like, because it's Chalice of the Void, but with counter spells. And so, so, so that guy also played Trick Image. Nice. So, like, you know, I, I'm, did he have multiple chalices or one? Uh, he had four, I think. Four? Yeah, okay. he had four, but he had an engineered explosive, so it was like, the issue was like, well, I couldn't overextend it. I have to overextend yeah. it in the chalice, so he, he, so. then it gets exploded, <laughs> and, like, I also can't really rely on my academy because it gets Blood Moon, and he's got Force of Wills to back all, and Mana Drains to back all this up. Huh, this is awkward. And realistically, yeah. it actually <laughs> might be a worse matchup than Chops is, but you could theoretically outrace it. So game yeah. one, I didn't realize what he was on, despite the fact that he was blue and had chalice until he played that Blood until he played a Blood Moon. I was like, oh, oh, I'm your heart. silly. Not breaking my heart, but like I'm silly because it's like he, I played all my Moxes. He chalice on one, and so I had a couple of one drops. Then he engineered explosive, chalice on zero. I'm like, okay, I've got a tropical island in play. Um, I guess I can Elder Spirit Guide and Living Wish for like you know. Forge Master, and I have, like, one-drop artifacts, and, like, if I get a Grim Model without, I'm not technically dead, and he's like, Blood Moon. I'm like, okay, now. Game two was, I kind of sat there for a little bit, he had a Chalice, and I didn't have, I didn't have City of Solitude, because I needed to, like, I, I only brought in one, because I need to, like, Nature's Claim, Hercules Loophole, and stuff, and needed to actually counter it. Just kind of sitting there, and I just had mana in play, he had, like, you know, Chalice on zero, when I already had lands, and, like, you know, a couple of things, he had, like, Trick Image for Lotus, but he was tapped out, so he only had a Lotus. And I drew... And it was a Living Wish. So my hand at that point was Tezzeret, Spirit Guide, Diminishing Returns, Living Wish, Pact of Negation. And he's like, he's tapped out. I'm like, oh, I drew the Living Wish. I can get my Academy and I can go off this turn. And then he's like, draw step, sack my Lotus Bid, do play. Damn. And I'm like, this is my window. I have to pack this Bid, do play. Because he can't take, because he'll take my Living Wish. Because I don't think I had shown him the Wish yet. But either through stories of the deck being passed around, because I was featured, or just, I don't know what, or even more realistically, I don't know what this card does. This card is, I don't know why you have it, but it is the most unique card in your hand. So I'm taking it. That's, for, for unknown cards, like, yeah. like, don't even think about it. Just, if you have a way to deal with it, deal with it. I, that's a good way to Right. So, things. I was just like, okay. And... So I, I packed it, and I was like, okay, well, Living Wish, resolved, okay, get Academy, Academy. And now I'm in the tank, because I can either cast Diminishing Returns and tap out, or I can tap out and remove the Spirit Guide and play Tezzeret. And I was sitting there, and I was like, I even said, give me a minute, I have to think. Sitting there, I was like, okay, so Diminishing Returns, if I get hit with a Counterspell, that's problematic, but I still have four lands, and even with the Blood Moon, because I had tro the Trop in play, too, even with the Blood Moon, because it was like Sapphire, Opal, like something else. Or maybe I didn't have the truth. It doesn't matter. But it was like I had two blue mana and the Spirit Guide would have been the fifth mana. So it's like Blood Moon doesn't ruin me. Ingot Chewer on something doesn't ruin me. Counterspell plus Ingot Chewer doesn't ruin me. Various, like, you know, the only thing that mattered was the Counterspell. Engineered Explosives doesn't ruin me. Because I had, I had like ways to, because I had like a Soul Ring or something. So he couldn't fully eat me out. No, no, he had a Chalice on zero in play. That's what it was. That's why he couldn't eat for zero. But like, the, but it's like if I Tezzeret. A Counterspell ruins me. A Counterspell ruins me because now I can't pay for packs because I've spent my fifth mana. Uh, Artifact Destruction ruins me if he blows up my Belcher because I've spent my fifth mana. And I can't now shoot you in the face with my Char Belcher. Like, Diminishing Returns is the play. 
So I cast I cast my draw seven, and I draw a hand with eight mana and a Tesseract. And I'm like, okay, jam. He's like, mind break trap. Untap. Hercules recall you. You lose your pack trigger. And the seven I drew him into was mind break trap, force of will, blue card, Hercules recall. Like, plus, like, other stuff. And oh, you live man. by the draw seven, you die by the draw seven. Yeah. So as your opponent draws all lands... That's painful, though. <laughs> Happens. Signed the slip. Realized I was dead, but I was going to play out the best I could. I got paired against Dredge the next round. Um, I didn't know what he was, but I won the roll. And you're talking about the all-mana hands. And I've talked to friends about this. At the time, I thought it was, was right. In hindsight, I thought it was wrong for a bit. Now I'm still... I think in Vintage, you can't keep the all-mana hand. I, well, Legacy, you can. I don't know, because the... I, I mentioned it in my blog post, which, cheap plug... Batterskullsbrews.wordpress.com is my blog, and it has the primer for this deck and other thoughts and musings. But the three hands you get on average, there's a lot more nuance, but just generally, you're going to get either mana-heavy hands, business-heavy hands, or like a mix of both. The mix of both is obviously good. The mana-heavy hands are fine because you actually get to do stuff, and you can play like big mana control, and you just keep top-decking threats, and you can cast them. So you're fine there. You'll eventually draw out of it. The mana light hands are the problem, because they just choke you on your mana and you die. Especially if you have to land grant and show them that it's your mana one. The hand on the play in the dark was Mox, 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 Mana Crypt, Black Lotus, Lion's Eye Diamond, Pact of Negation. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, well, the live draws at this point for me are four Charbelters, four three-dimensional return, four draw sevens, three-dimensional returns, one time spiral, two Tezzerets, four Living Wishes, four Pillow of the Forge Master, Four Gitaxian Probes to dig me deeper. Four Preordains to dig me deeper. And if I get a Belcher, they're just dead, because I have all my draw sevens. And I have Counterspell backup that I can hard cast if I need to, if they play something really And Ancestral Recall. Yeah, Ancestral Recall also. So, yeah. so 23, um, I, my count's uh, on. No, I think it was higher than that, because four Char Belcher, four Diminishing Returns, so that's, you know, four draw sevens, that's eight. Two Tesserets, that's nine. Ten. Or ten. Ancestral Recall Tinker, 11, 12. Oh, tinker, okay, yeah. so... Let's just recall Tinker, 11, 12... Four Living Wish, 16, eight Cantrips, 24. Okay. So that's like 24... Almost half your deck. Yeah, 24 out of 53, basically. And so I'm like, and I have the Counterspell, which I can hardcast if I need to, because it was like Sapphire, Opal, Lotus. Yeah, you could pay like, for it. I could pay for it. So I'm like, I'm going to keep this hand. Because like shops, if they give me infinite time, I get all my mana. Like blue, all the blue decks are super fair, and they give me too much time. That Faden doesn't affect me that much. I'm going to jam. And he's dredge, and I just win. It happens. Uh, game two, I get there, and he keeps a very strange hand of, like, because I probe him. It takes a while, but I eventually shoot him in the face. He keeps a very strange hand. It was, like, Leyline of the Void, which he put into play as free game effects. Cabal Therapy, Rainbow Land, Rainbow Land, Narc Amoeba, Thug, and, like, I think a Grave Troll. But, like, no bizarre. Like, no bizarre, no actual ways to blow up my artifacts. And I'm just like... No, you just snap cap. I was like, okay. So it was very weird. But I eventually ended up getting there. So then game three happens, and I'm on the draw, and my seven is Pack Negation, Force of Will, Tezzeret, Diminishing Returns, Force of Will, Pack Negation, Diminishing Returns, Tezzeret, I think Charbelcher, Chrome Mox, Mox J on the draw. And I'm like, that's one of these hands that's two mana life. You're too choked. If I had a cantrip, I might keep it, but I can't. So I'm only getting to six. And the six was preordain, 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 land grant, living wish, probe. And it's like, I don't want a mulligan to five. Like, I, I, it's like, 
Mulligan into five, I don't think that realistically I can will have the resources to outrace outrace you outrace them at this point. Because of his hand game two of just the you know, snap keep, no disruption, no bizarre, like no artifact disruption, no bizarre, like whatever, it's like I might have time. And he goes turn one bizarre. And then I probe. And I'm like, okay, that's not good. So now I have to like kind of slow roll these if I can. And I probe, and I see he has a second bizarre. But he doesn't have Cobalt Therapy, and he doesn't have a Rainbow. So I'm like, okay, now I gotta race. Like, now I have to cobble, like, together Preordains and, like, chain, and ideally chain to, like, a Sapphire or another Artifact Mana Source, because I think I had drawn, like, a Mana Crypt. And, like, just try to chain these Preordains together and go through my deck as quickly as I can. And so I land Grant, and I show the triple Preordain. And then I drop, and I Preordain, and I shove, like, key Monolith, like, just useless, like, you know, not relevant cards. And I draw the fourth Preordain. Then he Cabal Therapies me with a Rainbow Land, and with a blood gas trigger to strip four cards out of my hand, and at that point I become left with like a land grant, and like I just die. And that's why this is magic. Yep. Um, that's why you play the ants. Yep. Next round I get paired against my friend Bobby on Mentor. Uh, we talked through the event, and he's just playing to have fun, and I'm playing to like do well, and so he said he'd scoop me if we got paired. We got paired, he scooped me. We played the games out for fun after. Uh, game one, I go, like, he mulligans to five, and I, like, present turn one Charbelcher. And I, like, exile a draw seven, because it's like, I could have turned one on the play draw seven, but I'm like, you're on five, I'm, I'm cool. Like, Charbelcher shoots you, and then, like, game two, like, City of Solitude, Charbelcher shoots you. It was, like, a bit more involved, but it just, the games were not close. City is quite the trump. Yeah. Round, the next round, I get paired against Mentor. Uh, I get it again. Um, I keep a very mana-heavy hand, mana-light hand on the play, but it was like Tropical Island double preordained business, like Mox Ruby, I think, business. And I was like, I've got enough Sifter spells that I think this is okay. And he actually thought I was a normal deck for a while. <laughs> and he's like, man, I thought you'd hit your second land at some point. I'm like, yeah, funny about that. <laughs> and after the second preordained, he's like, man, still no second land? I'm like, yeah, no. <laughs> then I eventually, like, he, he presents a mentor, and I, like, wish for a shop, because that's the moment where you wish for shops, is where you're light on artifacts, that I present to Charbelcher, and it kind of clicks, Is like, oh, that's why you had no second land, but he has a mentor, he has, like, two tokens, I think he has, like, an Umizawa's GTA on it at that point, and no counters, and he's just like, well, I, I probed his hand, he had, like, Sword Supply Shards gushed with only one island, he started with Library on the draw, too, and very quickly was off it, and he's like, okay, well, I'm going to, it's like, I don't know if I have outs in the deck, I think I may have a wear tear, we'll see, draw Scalding Tarn, Scalding Tarns floats red into blue, because the wear tear, I guess, into gu gush, gushes. Oh, that's an out. Dak made take your belcher. And it was like, you know, a turn three mentor, and he had chain cantrips, and at that point, I didn't have the time, and I died. Game two, I keep mana heavy hand with Ancestral Recall and City of Solitude. The recall draws me into Moxable, Moxable, Grim Monolith. And so I'm like, okay, the result. I was like, wild shock. Okay, I was like, all right, just dump my hand, City of Solitude, go. And I have like a Moxable in hand, and my board is like, it's like Trop, Tap Grip Monolith, Chrome Mox Exiling a Blue Card, Mox Opal City. With like another Mox Opal in hand, and like, you know, maybe another land grant, like kind of like not relevant spells. And he goes, Tropical Island, Black Lotus, Ingot Chewery, your Mox Opal. And I was like super happy about that because I had another Mox Opal in my hand that he didn't know about. And I was like, ha! And he's like, Ingot Chewery, Mox Opal, Dak Fade, and take your Chrome Mox. I'm like, oh, turn one Ingot Chewery, Dak Fade. Oh, and then I just made him play it out because it's, it's like I X4 like realistically is like you're dead for money yeah and I'm just like no I'm gonna I, kill me and he did and I, I, I came all the way out here it's like I came all the way out here and I died and I got he was like turn two mentor too in addition to like turn one back I was like something 
like, you know, like, turn two or turn three mentor. I, you know, it's just like, all right, yep, it's magic. Like, made him have it, and he had it. And then the last round, after frantically finding Brian, uh, telling him he couldn't draw, after verifying standings with Craig Wesco, who was on site for the WMCQ. Okay. And, this, like... This is round 10? Yeah, round 10. Yeah, yeah round okay, 10. yeah. Yeah, like... Because it was a clean. It was a clean break. Yeah, it was a clean break, but, like, Which, I, I, I told him, like, I was just like, I don't know if... I knew he was X1. I'm like, yeah, you could draw in. And I was like, I will get, you know, Craig Wesco to check the standings, because, fun fact, he's good, at try to, he's good at tiebreaker math. And I actually could have done it myself, but Craig verified, because I saw that Brian was an eighth. And he's like, no, you gotta play. And so I was like a mad rush because I like texted him because I told him like initially, he's like, yeah, I think you can draw in. Let me check the standings. And you know he hadn't checked the standings, and I was like, did you get my like right before he gets pulled with his feature match for Will McGrath into the feature match area? I even asked the judge. I'm like, because he's like he had one of his legs on the chair, so I was like, I wasn't sure if he was a player. And me telling him was an outside advice. I'm like, can I can I talk to him about like drawing at this point? Like, is that okay? And the judge gives me a thumbs up. I look at him and he goes, did you get my text? He goes, no. I'm like, you have to play. He's like, okay. I sit down against this guy, Ian, who we sat next to each other in the feature match area. He was paired against LSP. And we just start talking. He's like, yeah, we both started, we both started, uh, you know, day pretty well, and we ended up here. And I'm like, yeah, well, it happens, you know, playing for pride and whatever. He's like, you know, I talked about it. He's like, yeah, the one thing, you know, I, I, I want to do better. I like my deck, you know, but, you know, I'm going to play for play out for pride. And he goes, well, I got, you know, it's like, well, yeah, I got prizes on the line. And I'm like, dude, we're X4. We're so dead for prizes. Surprising he's only top 32. We're so dead for prizes. He goes, no, I'm unpowered. I look at him. He's like, oh, you're you're unpowered. You're in the line for unpowered prize. He goes, yeah, I don't have any power. I was like, oh, scoop, just instantly. I'm not. I am dead. I'm not taking. He was flabbergasted. He was like, wait, really? I was like, yeah, no, obviously. I'm not taking money out of this guy's pocket to satiate my own ego in the grand scheme of things. When my it's not even that like six four isn't even that impressive in the grand scheme of things. And so. I think I just said that twice, but oh well. <laughs> and he was just very grateful, and he ended up coming in second and winning $200, because apparently, like, the guy who finished in 32nd was unpowered. He went 7-3, and he snuck into 32nd, so he double-dipped. It was nice. like Craigslist land sale. It was pretty nice. sweet. And we played it out for fun afterwards, and, like, game one, I was like, turn one, Char Belcher, turn two, you know. But he was in fact, which was something that I actually bonded with Brian over, because some I was judging at Vegas, the, the Vegas Fisher Side event, and I got, I was the one who made sure to get all of the, not patting myself on the back here, one moment for that, I'll be a little not <laughs> humble, but I got all the pictures of all the 4 and one or better deck lists, and I got them to coverage, and that's why there was a piece on the Grand Prix Vegas for Vintage, because that, that was all my pictures, I did the legwork, but something that you wouldn't know if you weren't there was that there was a Infect deck, powered Infect deck, and it was a game, it finished 3-2, it lost a Mentor, it was a game away from 4-1-ing, and for me taking a picture of that deck list, and I'm like, okay, this was like a game, a very close game, that like, this would have been known to the world, but like, because it's magic, and the game was so close, he lost, the, not an actual coin flip, but he's gonna end up on the forgotten side of history, but I remember it, so let's see if there's potential here, and it's something I toyed around with for a little bit, but I knew I was Beltran, so I didn't put that much work into it, and this guy just came to this own, completely separate, his name's Ian, Came to his own conclusion about the deck, and LSV actually had a deep, deep run. He was like 7-1, but he dropped to go catch his flight back to Denver. So he scooped in like round 9. But he go catch his flight back to Denver, and the 1 was to this guy. He was the 1. Unpowered Infect beat like traditional Fentanyl. 
And it's like, yeah, no, this deck has potential. And so I'm happy he did well. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. I'm happy I'm happy he won, but realistically he is slower than me and I have more counter spells and I shot him in the face with the cannon when we played the clock. And <laughs> he was like Sounds about right. So that's why I say on like technically I finished five five because I did scoop, but we did play it out and I shot him in the face with the cannon twice. So like I effectively finished a six four. I say it counts as six four. You not being you being an awesome dude. Right yeah. there, I think it counts as six. Yeah, like, if I had played it out and I lost, I would have been like, okay, 5-5. Five, five. But it's like, no, <laughs> we, we played the match. I, 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 I shot him in the face with the cannon. Like, it went about exactly how I thought it would go, and they died. So... The, the one regret, and then Brian top ate it. Um, I made sure to be the first person to give him a hug after each one of his quarter... Each one of his wins in the top eight, because I was so happy for him and so proud. Realistically, it was a perfect event. I got... My deck is now out there. It is The people's cannon is now in the hands of the people. <laughs> the list is known. And my teammate won the event. The only regret I have is that the deck is much better than my record. And I mentioned this in my blog post about it. And this is one of the reasons why I say you have to have no fear when you play the deck. Because no matter how consistent I make this... It's true, and I was aware of this. No matter how consistent you make this deck... No matter how, you know, in many starter mana, how many, you know, keeps, actual games of match you get to play, how many long games you can win, which is a surprising factor about the deck, you are ultimately still a Charbelcher deck. And the Charbelcher deck will come down to asking the fundamental question, do you have it? Because I have it. Do you have it? And if they answer yes enough times in the event, you'll lose. That's a risk you have to be aware of. It's something that Nat Moss, when I talked to him about it, he was like, yeah, this is kind of a novelty in that regard. But I think if you accept that fact, and you understand the fact that, well, realistically, they can have it against any deck. Like, each deck has its choking points. Each deck, it's like, well, he drew the Force of Will, or he top-decked the Black Lotus into the Yawgmoss Will and killed me, or, you know, whatever. It's a bit more reactive to specifically relying on their disruption, not that being proactive. But it doesn't matter. Ultimately... At some point, some of your losses come down to, well, I needed him not to have this, and he had it. Everyone can relate to that. So, that's what this deck is. Just ask that at a very core fundamental level. And if you accept that, and if you run well, you know, because you have to run well to win a tournament, you can do great things. And realistically, the term strictly better is thrown out a lot, but this is a, really is, a strictly better version than any of the lists out there. And I get, if you don't want to play it, uh, there's some of my teammates who, the phrase we used was, they had the fear. <laughs> you know, they're like, I don't, you know, Hirishi, for example, definitely had this list. He's like, no, I'm too afraid. I don't, the style of combo I know, and even Ari pointed out, this isn't a combo deck where you could just kind of carefully manipulate this window and, like, kind of, like, find this little crack and, like, pick your spot. Boom. There's an element of that. But realistically, it's like, you're Charbelcher deck. You have to jam. You cannot be afraid. You have to accept the fact, you know, I knew this going in, and my teammate Ben, who's a Legacy Belcher player, did warn me, just to make sure that I was dedicated, that I was okay with this, is you might fly across the country and just run into perfectly timed counterspells all day, and spend, you know, a good amount of money to just get destroyed. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I accept that risk. I also can, you know, play the deck very well, and fade things, and, you know, I didn't, I didn't play shops all day, it's shocking, it's, the joke is, oh, you should have won the tournament if you didn't play shops all day, but it's... You know, it's not a hundred percent not chops. It's just, and also that—that's yeah. sort of, that—that's not a proper assessment from them because if you had been like four oh five oh six oh, you would have faced chops. So yeah. it's, yeah, not I'm, like you have the same opponents regardless of your record. Yeah, so it's 
as long as you accept that fact, you just, you have no fear in your heart. It's extremely solid. It's the fact that it's faster than everything else means you can slip under shops, means that you can slip under these blue decks that have become so inbred to fight each other that they only really rely on force of wills, that you can outrace dredge, that you don't have to have a card in your sideboard, you know, any cards in your sideboard for it. I had none. I ordered in a pact of negation. Going forward, I might add a pithing needle in the board, mainly just for Dak Faden, but also just like, well, it hits bizarre, so mice. But you just. The deck is great, and the one regret I have is that my record did not reflect how good I know the deck is. Just through months of testing, through Brian even going, yeah, this deck is better than every other Belcher deck I have played against. You know, uh, like, this is. The deck is good, the deck is a real contender. And people may forget about it for a bit, because I didn't have the greatest performance, but it is now out there, it is very real, and it will take down an event, because if people play it, one of them will eventually run good. So be prepared, like, I can't, I can't stress enough. I personally moved on, because I feel like I have taken the deck as far as it can go, and it's now kind of like what Brian says, you, you, you win the tournament. You didn't, I didn't win the tournament, but it's now out there. It's still in my range, I still have the cards, I'll still definitely play it. New ideas coming up soon from you. Yeah, it's just, I guess, a small preview. It's fitting Pulverize into Storm, because I think Pulverize is the most effective way to fight shops, realistically, because it's free. It costs two mountains, but it's free, so the mana is very, like, just easy, relatively easy to get. And unlike Hercules Recall, which has become awkward with the timing, where it's like, oh, I have to Hercules Recall mid-combat, to, and you to not take lethal, and then you get to replay your stuff, or after Hercules recall in response to your tangle wire, but then I still have to tap all of my own tap stuff, and then you get to replay your fully charged tangle wire. It's they're dead. <laughs> they are dead. So if you just build this like more ritual heavy storm list, maybe some red payoffs, maybe some right of flames. Like you, I, I feel like I do want a red payoff, but maybe not. Maybe just light red for like wheel of fortune and other stuff. And you just pulverize, and then you just cast a bunch of rituals, and they die. And they can't really play around it. And the reason I don't think it was as effective as it was going to, coming into the weekend, as everyone thought it would be out of Delver, is because Hangerback Walker happened. Yeah. And Hangerback Walker mitigates it. Hangerback Walker Ravager blanks it. They can have all the tokens they want in Storm. They're dead. Yeah. You're never letting them untap. They're dead. So that's why I think Pulverize might be the answer there. And then the other thing is realizing that the two decks, both Angel City Vault and Charbelcher, at their core are Tolarian Academy decks. And so is Harishis, the Turbo Academy. It's, we are going to take Academy, we are going to use it to leverage a mana advantage against you, and then we are going to do dumb, broken things with it. So, realistically, that's a shell, or a pillar, or however you want to phrase it. So what can you do with that shell? I don't know, maybe you can play, like, a big blue deck with, you know, Jace Friends Prodigy and Dakbane to help dig through, but your Sifters are n and, like, Thoughtcast, because you're heavy artifact based. So now your Sifters aren't based on getting Mental Misstepped, and you can play your own Delve Spells because you have Jace and Dak, so you can actually keep up with the draws, and then you can slam Haymakers like Consecrated Sphinx, or Ugin, or a, a pet card of mine, which I hope works. You can cast Upheaval against all the fair blue decks with no Moxin, and <laughs> you're floating three mana, and then you replay like a bunch of... Then you replay all of your mana stuff, and then, because, you know, why not? You can very easily make nine mana in this deck. With all with academy plus all the artifacts, <laughs> and then like slam consecrated sphinx with eight mana on the board, and you're like, okay. Or that that, that reminds me of upheaval psychotog. Right. 
which was when I was playing as a kid, that was one of my favorite decks, so I'd have to fit a Tog in there too, somehow. <laughs> or what if you do it in like a Storm Shell with it's similar, but you have Hercules Recall as your ritual, instead of being a Black Storm deck based on Yogmoth's Will, you're a Blue Storm deck based on Mind's Desire. Because Angel City Vault had a Mind's Desire in the deck, it wasn't a Storm deck, but you could Storm out. So like, what if you just have Hercules Recall as, as your rituals, that not only don't get misstepped, but have utility against shops, you just try to reside this one big haymaker, and you have, like, other options, like Tinker for something in the deck against shops when you can't just consistently storm off or whatever. Like, there's a lot of things you can do with this shell. So that's something else I'm going to be working on. I'm probably going to be writing posts about that and giving specifics on the deck list if you like the sound of Ugin. <laughs> I, I, Ugin made me pretty excited. Yeah. Right there. Um, so I guess you answered my next couple questions. Um, you feel that it stands well. After champs. I do. And um, I think unless, I mean, I don't know how much the format's going to warp around Brian's win, but realistically, you're favorite, you're favorite against Brian's deck, and you're favorite against all the other combo decks because you're faster. Mm -hmm. So that's fine. Shops is still Shops. You're still going to have to fade it. I think Hangerback, the Hangerback version, I don't know. I just Hangerback Walker seems, other than being able to like fade Pulverize and just having natural synergy with Arcbound Ravager, I'm just not very impressed. I think it's medium. I don't know how much the meta changes from here. I think, I think we just need to wait for the next ban restrict announcement, and then, then I, I, I think a lot of people are putting their work on hold because there's no not many big events coming, yeah. and they're gonna see they don't want to like make a great dig through time deck, and then yeah, I think, and that's the thing too. That's why I don't mind talking about this because one of the things that my team does was something that I was actually very proud of on the weekend was just pro tour level seriousness so that means like secrecy and i was talking with matt moss about this who played his days in doing belcher list too uh not a spectacular finish <laughs> happens it's Char belcher yeah uh Nat's a great guy great player um and i was mentioning about you know secrets and tech and stuff and he kind of joked he's like oh with the internet there's no secrets anymore in vintage and i looked at him and i went no one knew my list and he goes yeah it's true you did a pretty good job keeping that one under wraps <laughs> so I don't mind talking about this stuff because not only am I hoping I want as much as I hate restrictions, realistically something needs to happen. I feel like, and as much as I maybe prefer to see an unrestriction, like thirst, I feel like yeah, I feel like chal chalice at one, dig at one, thirst at four. Yeah, because the way I think part of the reason shops is so dominant is because the blue decks are just pushed into these grow shells, which are landlight which helps shops, but ban lists are also there for format health and fun for the players, and I can't think of a single person who actively enjoys playing against a workshop. Against? I can, yeah, no. I can think I can think of people who say they have a good workshop matchup. I think the dredge players might be like, I like playing against it because it's a buy. Yeah. But it's not... For fun of the format, for people who like want to play this format, Like I gotta be honest, I dabbled into vintage before what I told you earlier in this interview, and I was like, I'm going to pick up Storm, because I played Storm in Legacy, and I get to play with a Mystical Tutor again, so I'm going to just do this. And I ran into my first Workshop deck, and I just got ruined. I'm like, this isn't fun. And I almost just didn't play Vintage because of that. <laughs> yeah. It's... Like, it was completely proxy, no Ancestral, but it was like, yeah, I, I, it's not fun. It's, it's, you know, I, I built, you know, I have, you know, I don't have a full set of shops, but other than that, I have most of the cards for Martello, and one day just, just, just you know, be like, oh, the Patriot State of Blue Combo has workshops, I'm gonna f you just fake people out. 
you know, friends are like, oh, you have vintage. Yeah, I have vintage. And then I'd, like, turn one workshop sphere. I'm like, oh, I want to have fun. I don't want to do homework. <laughs> like, and they just scooped. I didn't get a game. It's like, it's not, it's yeah. good. It's extremely good. It's just not fun. So I feel like. That's definitely a, another two-hour conversation. Yeah, about it really is. Health and everything. It um, really is. But those are those. Are, no, I'm probably gonna write a longer post about it. Like I already wrote something back pre, the pre-Origins ban restricted list about how like here are the cards that like realistically could be banned and why they should be. I think Chalice needs to go for the sake of fun. Dig needs to go for the sake of blue diversity and weakening the grow style decks while not completely taking them out of the format because if you take gush out the grow style decks become unplayable and dig is still broken and it's yeah. like you still it's still a problem yeah and thirst needs to come back because the control decks need a way to be able to outdraw the creature decks because realistically if the grow decks die then bug the fish comes back and then they grind you out with card advantage through dark confidant and other threats you can't outdraw them and you lose magic so so any any last words after everything this two and a half hours we've been sitting so i apologize yeah. for any background noise we we're sitting outside of a starbucks because we actually live in the same city and i didn't even realize that yeah it was funny you, you first mentioned me it's like yeah coordinating with all of you east coast guys is a pain i'm like yeah i'm on the west coast man <laughs> like i everyone else like, i agree with like, you coordinating with all these east coast guys are a pain it, it sucks is. so so <laughs> i have somebody no, I just, knows my pain yeah, I just, I guess, thank you everyone for listening. Sorry if I rambled on. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, you, if, you are good at creating a lot of content. Yeah, that's... I definitely appreciate that. I, I didn't have to say much, just a couple prompts. Yeah. I guess that's how I, I, that's how I like it, you know, because it's about you. It's your, thank your you. spotlight. Thank you. Um, all the social, if you liked the insane ramblings that you've just heard, uh, dbatterskull on Twitter, Batter Skull on Twitch. Uh, I'm definitely just to interact with me in chat. I try to stream, but it's not great, especially because I don't own power on Modo. Um, you can find me through D Batter Skull on Facebook, like because I have that as like a nickname. So you can search me under. But Danny Batterman on Facebook, like pretty much open to accepting friend requests. Just I'll probably message you going, "Who are you?" <laughs> and then you'll have to tell me it's like, "Oh, I found you through this or whatever." Like you know, just as long as you're not a jerk, that's fine. Uh, like, <laughs> We're cool. So, um, yeah. Batterskulls, I mentioned it earlier, but batterskullsbrews.wordpress.com for my blog. Um, trying to update it bi-monthly every Thursday. Uh, so this week is this week is off. Uh, next week I'll try to have a post. Mostly vintage, sometimes legacy, sometimes just random musings and format health. Like I've definitely talked about, you know, re just a retrospective judge article for Vegas. Uh, okay. You know, I'm... I'm I'm trying to be as consistent as I can with it. Sometimes school will get the better of me, but... Life does get in the way of card games. It does, and that's part of the reason why I don't, like, you know, write for a major site. So it's... I guess, on behalf of myself and Eternal Central, what's going on, I appreciate you coming out, talking Definitely. with me, and it's been great, so I guess that's it.